Hey, Blinders, on this week's show, we talk about the Andor trailer, Bullet Train Hits Theaters, and director David Leach, along with producer Kelly McCormick, are our guests. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters. Because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 224 of Real Blend, a podcast that really hopes and or explains how Cassian gets his last name. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, and I'm back on the show this week because we're going to be talking about Andor's trailer, which hopefully everybody had a chance to see. Bullet Train with Brad Pitt and Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry and Joey King and a whole lot of other people uh, is going to be hitting theaters. And so to celebrate... The return of action cinema and and uh, Brad Pitt is going to be David Leach, the director and pro- and then the producer of the film, Kelly McCormick, uh, joining the show to discuss Bullet Train with my boys, Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hello, Kevin. How are you, sir? Sean, yes. Gabe, Jacob. Uh, well, you know, it, it, I'm really happy that we have Kelly and David on because and we'll we'll get to why. But like Kelly and David are a great producing team and they're married in real life as well. But like we talked to them the day of the fifth anniversary of Atomic Blonde releasing and they, they've been doing some great stuff. And I'm like really happy Like 87 North is their is their production company and they just really mm-hmm. celebrate stunt actors. So good, great to have them on. We've had David on before, obviously, for Hobbs and Shaw and then his incredible uh director which we recorded partner. in hawaii yes we did and then we obviously we've had chad Stilhesky on as well and david and chad obviously were uh were there for the john wick films um but chad went on to direct them more so um but yeah so very very excited to have david, uh, david on and hits hits stuntman is Dude, that right there's a really great uh moment so in the interview you'll hear it uh we ask because david leach was uh brad pitt's stunt double in fight club and we actually right. ask him this little tease uh if you could ever see david specifically if you pause fight club for a moment on tyler durden is there a moment where we can see david playing the character versus brad because he's a stunt double okay. and on the flip side of it the cool part about it is is that david's now directing brad pitt in a movie so he's directing brad pitt's stunt double which was david's role on fight Club. oh that's pretty cool that's yeah. a full circle moment uh yeah. also joining us jake hamilton of fox 32 in chicago hello jacob how are you sir we missed you buddy 
as uh, it's, it's a very fun listening to the show uh, as an audience member. Gabe did some heavy lifting. Gabe Kovach in the producer's chair. Gabe, well done. Actually, it was actually the opposite. Well we done. all realized that you don't really contribute as much to the show as yeah, we yeah, thought you did. It was a yeah. pretty, it was a pretty easily <laughs> removable tumor in a way yeah, from the guys, show. Wow, oh, tumor. Is this is this oh, where it's, is this that joke dark? went significantly further than I thought it was going wow. to. I'm so sorry. Like three quarters burn. of the way through that joke, I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. At least benign. It might at least be yeah, a benign, 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 benign for sure. Benign. Are we telling Sean now that, that you know, he's No, after, Kevin. Kevin, after. Oh, shoot. Yeah, Sorry, I, that was our, our blend game for next week. Our blend yeah. game for next week is going to be what's your favorite, which was your favorite, favorite Sean, Sean moment? moment because these we're saying goodbye to Sean. On the yeah, show. Sean no entries. No one, no one, could, no one plays along at all. We'll get Sean blend next week. Just silence. Uh, hello, That's if good. you're watching us on YouTube, uh, thank you for joining us. Head down, give us a like and a subscribe uh, for all of our audio listeners. If you want to know more about the uh, YouTube channel, head over to youtube.com backslash realblend podcast um we've been really lucky lately to get a lot of our interviews done in video format whether it be uh jordan peele who joined the show uh, most recently uh we have a couple other really exciting ones coming up um and i'm going to plug in a minute uh that we have an audio podcast uh interview coming that does not have video to it yet but i'll explain why in a second and but still uh, available you on up? youtube still available on youtube yes it will still be available there uh, have you signed up for our real blend premium well this week's premium uh, which is going to be dropping on Monday. You're going to want to be uh, a member uh, of the premium subscription in order to listen to it, because we are going to tell the behind the scenes uh, happenings for this interview that I just teased to you, uh, which is going to be Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery uh, joining the show. Quentin for the fourth time. Roger for volume the first four. time. Yes. Volume four of Quentin Tarantino uh, on Real Blend. And, and I have to preface this by saying it's it this one's more of a hang i know we've been saying that like when we talked to tarantino it, it feels like it's a bit of a hang but this one really was i've listened to it uh twice now just through the raw audio i haven't heard the edit yet um and it is not i mean it's an interview it, it is this is interview. our once upon a time in hollywood of real blend interviews with tarantino it is i'm it's also me- hoping that we kind of like keep going and then we get to like volume 10 on his 10th film somehow <laughs> and then we, <laughs> we got a long end, way to go like, but you know what i'm saying like we somehow end that that era of of interviews with him as he ends his era of of That's- directing features that and then we kind of like just continue on with like books and tv shows or whatever he does next but uh i do like like i do i, I mean put this out to the listeners I'd be cool if we can get like a graphic made each time, like volume four, but it's in the Quentin, like, like lettering yeah. with the yellow lettering and like kind of like a, and then, uh, and there's a really cool thing that he had a cup by Quentin Tarantino that he was holding <laughs> that he said it, he, it was, it was his gourmet shit, uh, which I thought was cool. So uh, Donovan, uh, not to give homework to the listeners, but I, I do Donovan's know Donovan's done enough. I know what you're going to say. He's he done enough to our show, show and he's very artistic. If he wanted yeah. to take this on as hey, a, I have Donovan's poster in my bedroom and yeah. that's like, that's, that's a pretty, you know, my my bedroom space and, and walls are, are sacred to me. Like Donovan's work is on my walls. And also, um, not to go so. too inside baseball, but there's a game that he uh, has us play on the premium. And we were complaining lately that we were running out of his his choices. And so he sent us a full slate of <laughs> new entries so we can keep playing the game on Good the guy. premium. So, yeah, our listeners work harder than we do, actually. Um, yeah. So so basically what I'm saying is join the prescri- uh, subscription. No, subscribe to the premium. That's what I'm trying to say. God, it's been a long time since I've done this. It's the tumor with thing. like words. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and by now, hopefully you've listened to uh, Quentin volume four. 
with Roger Avery uh, on the Rebel and Podcast. I want to hear you guys' feedback about how that went. Yeah. That it's is a really, not our guest. It's oh, a really sorry. big deal, by the way. Just, just a heads up that we have Roger on because, it, yeah. uh, you know, when I was growing up, like when I watched Pulp Fiction for the first time, I didn't, you know, seeing Roger Avery's name on that. I'm like, oh, who's Roger Avery? And then I. I did a deep dive when I was in high school and back and found Killing Zoe. And uh, I loved Rules of Attraction, which was a movie he ended up going on to direct. Um, but it's really cool that they're together doing this podcast because I knew of video archives growing up because I researched Quentin's history. But like they used to work there and it's so cool. And even like Quentin's first movie, My Best Friend's Birthday, which is like only half of it exists now and. Um, I think some of it got burned in a fire, um, but like it's historic to have those two because, uh, you know, Roger Avery co-wrote Pulp Fiction. It's a kind of a big deal. Um, and so it's just cool to have them both on. So hope you guys enjoy it. Their show is the Video Archives podcast. So make sure you guys give that a, a listen and a subscribe as well too. Uh Quentin obviously gets his own episode whenever he comes around to the Rebel and podcast. Uh, so this week's guest on the main show, as mentioned, uh, is David Leach and Kelly McCormick the director and executive producer of the new film Bullet Train, which we're going to talk about later in the show. But in the meantime, let's get right to our interview. This is David Leach and Kelly McCormick on The Real Blend Podcast. David and Kelly, it's an honor to see you guys. Congratulations on the film. David, uh, you know, I messaged you about what I thought. We loved it so much. And uh, uh, this is obviously a filmmaking podcast you've been on before. You were on yeah. Hobson Shaw. But well, first of all, how are you? How are you both doing? I know you guys have been on tour for this film for a while. So how's everything been going? Great. Yeah, it's been a really good, uh, warm reception. And it's been great to get back together with the cast because they obviously love each other. I don't know if you've seen some of the photos from the European yeah. European press tour where Brad's jumping around and goofing around. <laughs> but that is like um, the joy of these people and how much they love each other. It's real. Yeah. And I think yeah. you could feel it on the screen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really nice country. 100%. So I'm going to geek out first with you about the filmmaking because uh, the the actual train is a character in the film. The outside aspects are characters in the film as well. Uh, but the execution of this must have been incredible because I, I I don't even know how you did it. and I want to know how you did it. But what were you doing? Was I'm assuming you were on a stage. How did you create the outside aspect of it? It looked phenomenal, whether it was CG or real. I mean, it looked incredible, um, but also the ambient sound of the train throughout the whole film. As we're inside the train, that sound is pumping through the speakers and it makes you immerse that you feel like you're riding it with them. Um, so how important was the visual and the sound aspect of creating that 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 environment? Well, there were a lot of things that went into the visual. I mean, first, we work with a great team, you know, Jonathan Sella, our cinematographer, and David Schooneman, our, you know, production designer. Um, but in terms of like the, the world outside the train, we worked with the, the uh, Mike Brazelton was our visual effects supervisor. And we went and shot material. And oh. before we started the movie, we didn't go. Well, we didn't go. We had a remote unit doing it because obviously it was COVID and how do we get to Japan? And so um, we had... David was like directing from WhatsApp. Yeah, we're directing <laughs> from WhatsApp and like watching it on Zoom and like getting them to shoot these arrays. Pan here, pan here, like <laughs> yeah, tilt oh. up. Like Stella was on too, and it was just like all of this crazy. And it was in the middle of the morning or like yeah, night, you know. really, to to you know be connected to Japan at the time that they were shooting. It was like. God, it was crazy. It was sort of crazy. It was crazy to do that stuff in pre-production because normally, you know, if it was blue screen, you would do all that in post. 
but we took a page from the new uh, virtual technology and um, sort of virtual production. And we had massive LED screens outside of the train. Massive LED like, screens. Oh, like Mandalorian. Right? Like Mandalorian, yeah. Yeah, we floor to ceiling and a giant, like, you know, stage. Yeah. Um, all the way around the, ca- the cab of the train. So the, wow. yeah, yeah, they were huge. You'd have to actually go inside the um, the panels and then inside the train. It felt like this wow. like, to get to the actual fu- shooting. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I actually thought you were really shooting on a train. Like, that's why I asked the question, because I couldn't tell. And I was like, and then I read somewhere it was shot on a studio. I'm like, how is that possible? But now with the screens, it makes perfect sense. So that's cool. And then and then the, I'm assuming the movement and the sound that all had to be a, 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 a really well designed as well. It was all designed. You know, we have, a, um, you know, Mark uh, Steckinger, who does all of our sound work on all our films, like was really um, uh, had a, really uh, it, he was really keyed into like, what is this? We need a unique sound for this bullet train, you know, and I think yeah. it needs to be slightly heightened because when you're on a bullet train, oddly, it's really quiet (laughs) and they're moving so fast and it's on rails. And so we went back and forth a lot about what that sound could be and how immersive it had to be. And I'm glad you brought it up because there's so many details in this filmmaking process that, you know, people just take for granted, but that make the experience so much better. And it's the group of artists that we have that work with us all the time that are just rock stars at their profession that give us that detail that makes it what it yeah, is. Yeah. Elizabeth Ronald's daughter was obsessed with it as well. Our editor. So she so was cool. like, and and what she said was she was like, you know, the train to Busan, we had like had such a sound within the cars and it was part of what was amazing about that experience. She's like, what is our train going to sound yeah. like? Like as she was like entering the film, which was like, really, that's your first question. Like <laughs> <laughs> how cool, like how smart, you know? Yeah. And so there was an eye toward it from the very beginning. And especially like, by the way, the train's not moving at all. Yeah, we so no gimbal or anything. The sound and the so oh. and the LEDs, literally people would get on the train. Um, Brad's makeup artist in specific is a really dear friend, Jeannie Black. She felt seasick when she got on the train. Jeannie, you know? like, it's not moving. We're not moving. <laughs> See, there's the floor. You're not allowed to be seasick on the train. <laughs> uh, guys, like Kevin, I also am obsessed with this film. I love it so much, so much so that it inspired me to go buy the source material. And I admittedly have not cracked it open yet. Um, but I'm curious as to, I guess, you know, because I feel like, you know, producers or directors always talk about all the amazing things that they pull from the source material. But what is something you had no choice but to leave behind that it had you're like, I can't. That's got to stay in the book. I don't know of any specific anecdotes. You know, I think. First of all, we came to the material through Zach's screenplay and we fell in love with this adaptation. And then we went back and read uh, Kitoro's book, which was like amazing. Um, and I think tonally we had taken it to such a different level that I think what we left behind, which is really compelling in this book, is like a little bit darker tone. Right. It's this darker mm. tone that you can have in a novel, especially a genre novel, but maybe wouldn't be as um fun for a summer movie that reaches a wide audience. And mm-hmm. so I love that tone. And it's this dark, irreverent, you know, sadistic tone of these sociopaths on the train. But we needed and wanted to do something bright, just a little bit brighter. And again, like yeah. all the characters are there, you know, and all the um, the the dark twists and turns. But we've we found a way to access it in a with a little bit more levity mm-hmm. that 
allowed us to reach more people and making more of our film. And Katoro was totally down. Like, I think he's really excited about how we were able to stay true to that material and the, the, the theme and the characters, but then blow it out in this global way with these beautiful characters from around the world and then reach so many more people with his, uh, his, themes. Really. Yeah, I think it would have been a really different experience had we entered the film through the book. Mm. Um, mm. But we fell in love with the script like, you know, and then saw how beautifully really Zach had adapted it and that, mm. you know, there's an energy to it, that there's a flow to it, that specific characters like take the same arcs and, you know, and, and some of the switches too, like we're so thoughtful and profound that like we ended up just like loving the book as it related to what mm. Zach's work had already been. So I do think it would have felt really differently if we would have like entered through the book uh, rather than the screenplay. Well, the tone yeah. is perfect. You guys nailed it. So yeah. it's amazing. It's also really hard to juggle this many characters and actually make me care about every single one of them. And you guys do that because then I, David, I was telling you, I, I feel like like Aaron Taylor and Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry's character. I felt for those guys, even though what they did for a living. But I was genuinely like I, I was so immersed in their relationship and I wanted them to like be okay for some weird reason. I just I found myself in that in that element. So, David, I want to ask you this because I I it's fascinating to me to look at your career. I mean, it's funny because I've actually been watching your work unknowingly for all these years. Like even going back to like Orgasmo and like basketball, I didn't even realize you were involved in those. I loved those movies when I was growing up. Um, but in terms of like the work you did with Pitt on, you know, a fight club specifically with Fincher, um, you're a stunt, you're a stunt double in in that, in a scenario like that. And you're actually doing stunt work at, for Pitt's character in that film. Now you're on the other side of it directing Brad Pitt and I'm assuming he has a stunt double here I would imagine for some so, of the yeah, scenes great one. is it weird directing his stunt double knowing that you were on the other side of that or, like do you remember your conversations with Fincher on Fight Club and like what, were they similar to how, how your conversations were with his stunt double here well I mean I think I have a different relationship with my stunt doubles because they're part they're part of a team of guys that I've mentored and brought up and in the business through 87 11 and now 87 North. And there um, there's this mutual respect I have for their journey and I want to prop them up. And they're, by the way, the physical talent in the stunt world just keeps getting better and better and better. As you see in extreme sports and, and, and athletics in general, like these guys are incredible athletes. And so they humble me sometimes with the things that they can do. And sometimes Kyle, Kyle, <laughs> double him. he's an, Kyle's an amazing, amazing stunt performer. I, um, but in terms of that, that time on Fight Club, like learning, that was a real important time for me as a stunt man. It was like the biggest movie I had done to date. It was a big, I was working on a lot of television shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and stuff like that. Yeah, man. I got this chance to double Brad Pitt on Fight Club. Um, and I kind of never took it for granted. Like I met a lot of the stunt people that were working at that level in Hollywood on that movie. I, um, got to, you know, see Fincher at work. And as a stunt performer, you get a lot of access to directors. And, um, and um, so I got to sort of grift off that and learn about those, you know, his style um, and start a relationship with him. And so it was just a really influential moment in my career as a, not only a stunt performer, which went on from there, but also as a, as a future filmmaker. Yeah. yeah I, would I was around I would, yeah. for those days, but I thought it was really cute when Brad, entered the set for the first time and they were 
like, you know, they sort of had this acknowledgement that like the times had changed, you know, and Brad was sort of like, you know, I'm here for you, man. I'm here for you, Leachy. You know, and he's like, right. and at certain you're the times, boss. You're, certain, the you're the boss, you're the boss in it. You know, that's at cool. Full time, circle. There was just yeah. this familiarity already. Um, but then there was this kind of new moment, too. And it just there was something really special about it to, to just witness um, for sure. David, before Jake jumps in, can I just ask you a quick question? If, if I'm if I'm to watch Fight Club and I was to look for a scene that you may be in that you're doubling Brad Pitt, could you think of one that where I could look for you? There was one, you know, Brad always brings up and there's a scene in the garage where um we did a we did a Texas switch. And you know what that is. It's where like the stunt double does one thing and then the camera whips over and you see the actor, right? Oh, or the, act, the stunt double falls and then on the tilt up, the actor's there or whatever. And so we did this one where, you know, at the end of that movie where Ed Norton's losing his mind, there's this scene where you see Brad Pitt's character, Tyler Durden, way down there, sort of soft focus, like, come and get me. And then as the camera whips around, there's Brad and he like clotheslines Ed Norton. And so I'm there like, and I'm getting more like photo double at this point. It's not even a stunt, but I'm dressed like him. So they're like Fincher's like, you go down there. We're going to soft focus on you. We're going to whip over and Brad's going to clothesline him in a close up. And uh, Brad always put that one up. And it's a fun moment because normally you're not even featured like that. You know, it's like a little dirty over the shoulder. You're getting, you know, or you're wow. hiding your face. Hiding your face. And that was more like, wait, there's an image of Brad there. And now Brad's here in the foreground. So anyway. Yeah. I had plans Finch, for it tonight, Finch, and now my plans are to Fincher. go back and rewatch Fight yeah. Club. Now I got now, yeah. now to go back and watch it again. Um, speaking of Brad, I have an absolutely ridiculous question for the both of you, but I hope you'll play with me for a second. Um, I like this question, by the way. By the way. I, I, I like I, this it, question. I'm afraid of this question. I think no one in Hollywood has better hair than Brad Pitt. You look at his filmography, just incredible hair, and it's different in every film, whether it be Oceans or Money Bar or Legend of the Fall or this film. Who makes the decision what Brad's hair is going to look like in a film, whether it's going to be long, whether it's going to be short, whether it's tied back, like who, who makes that call? Not us. <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, I, you know, I've noticed this and um, Brad. I think Brad does. <laughs> Brad. I mean, in this, can I say, I mean, in this movie. But the tie back. Yeah. Well, in this movie, he brought the um, bucket hat, which was not appreciated by the studio at the time and, <laughs> and the glasses. Oh. And, you know, our version of him as we're like wishing and hoping and, you know, like he's on, but you haven't, especially because of COVID, you've had a couple of calls, but like you never really, you know, get in person. We had this whole other kind of plan for his character. He's a little more put together. He had like a a trench coat and a little more styled hair and like more like a James Bondy. Well, not more just like a just a a put together bookworm, not a. Yeah, like almost like um, almost uh, Robert Redford-ish in a lot of his you know like and and we had this whole idea yeah that he was like a you know an academic or something and he comes in with this like totally other idea and what how genius is it because it's perfect he's an underdog and he's brad pitt how does brad pitt become an underdog if not Mm. with a bucket and giant glasses where you can't even see his (laughs) you know so i think and then as he evolved it was like when are we going to take the hat off how long are you going to have the hat on like it was this whole negotiation um, but it would just it was about his arc and about like sort of like, you know, it, it actually, I think, flows incredibly well. His whole mm. costume and like sort of disheveling and yet becomes more and more gorgeous along the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, I, it's a little annoying because about and all of a sudden he's like, oh, my God, it's right yeah. again. It's beautiful. But <laughs> even even in the hat, he still looks good. 
amazing. By the way, this might is this the only movie that I can think of that has an arc where uh, a pair of white shoes has an arc in this movie, by the way. I just, yeah. I, I just want to explain that there, there's a pair of white shoes in this film that like I was thinking about from the moment I saw them to the moment of, of when we last see them. I'm like, and a bottle I of water. A bottle of water has an arc. Yeah, there's a lot of arcs going on. Okay. Honestly, <laughs> there are a lot of arcs, and there's a whiteboard. There was a whiteboard full of arcs, like every character's arc. I mean, I it, mean, I it, it was it like, like a beautiful mind, beautiful mind <laughs> following me. I would love to see that. that. It's like that video of Nolan explaining Memento. Have you seen that video of him on a chop? Oh, <laughs> totally. That's it. <laughs> but, it's, but it's the way it's shoes in a water bottle. Yeah, yeah you don't totally. want people to see it. Actually, <laughs> you know, um, I want. Keep it on the Brad Pitt aspect because I think this is interesting and I could be wrong and I, I don't know Brad Pitt as well, obviously, like you guys do, but his tattoos on his arms looked like his real tattoos. Um, and I find that interesting because what I would argue in that sense is that the character is kind of Brad Pitt in a way if he has Brad Pitt's tattoos. Um, so I wanted to ask about that because do, is that a conversation you have with him? You go, all right, man, we're going to keep your real tattoos. But like the character would have to have made the same decisions that Brad Pitt made to get them. Well, there's a lot of Easter eggs like that about that character in specific. I think you have to ask Brad, to be honest. Um, okay. But I, um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to ask Brad. But I mean, from from a, from a filmmaker standpoint, like it, it, it is a decision you have to make that you're going to let yeah, him and it was, real ones. it was fine. You know, again, like we knew there was the, every actor brings themselves, put them, puts themselves a little piece of themselves into a character. Right. And I think that Brad, was putting a little piece of himself into this character, whatever moment in time he was in. And he really felt strongly about keeping his tattoos and, and, and some, even some of his jewelry. jewelry and things like that. He's yeah. like, this is the guy, this is the guy he's laid. He's um, there's an laid back. He's relaxed. He's, uh, you know, reflecting on life and doing some stuff and with himself and all, and all these things that he wanted to bake into that character that, he knew he he's great with characters. He's great at creating iconic characters. So when you have somebody like that come to your movie, you're like, there's a lean in. Yeah. There's a fun Easter egg on the shirt that he wears. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I the white t-shirt, it's very rubbed out, but we don't talk a lot about the inspiration behind it, but if it feels right, like David really goes with it and all of this felt really right, you know? And um, I do think it's a really, really special performance from Brad, uh, one like he's never done before, arguably none of them are the same, but this, he's cause he's that talented, but, this one in specific, we thought we got a really, really special performance from from Brad. 100%. Yeah, hundred percent. Without revealing what they are, there are some truly amazing cameos in this film. Um, I'm, I've always been curious as to what the process is for making that. Ha- like, like is is it the, the like like asking a friend for a favor? Like, if I'm going to ask Kevin to walk my dog, is it basically just calling a friend and be like, "Hey, would you do this quick favor for me?" Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> you know, we, we, have, I mean, not, I've been in the business a long time and I know it seems like, you know, my journey as a director has been fast and, but you got to remember there's 20 years of me and yeah, the he's really like, old guys. I'm old. <laughs> like, I've been, David's I've 95, been. by the way. <laughs> Thank you. It looks great. <laughs> it looks amazing. <laughs> Thank you. But the, you know, there, there you, you have a lot of great, we had a lot of great relationships along the way, both of us. And so, when there's an opportunity in a script where, especially something like this, where it's about making the, 
this sort of um, cinematic journey for the audience. And you want these moments of just like, Oh, like reactions. And like, there's an opportunity for a cameo. We, you know, we just start thinking about who we can access as a friend because um, mm. um, we've made some great relationships along the way. And hopefully we continue to do that. And it's fun to reunite with those people and have, and just, have fun. I have to bring this up because we're talking to you guys literally on the day five years ago, Atomic Bond hit theaters. Oh, uh, wow. This is literally the day that it hit theaters in 2017. I think. All right. I had no idea. That's awesome. And, and, and to sit here, to have both of you here is, is an honor to have you on our show because we love that film and to be back working together, obviously in a film like this, what was that journey like for both of you? What did, how did you strengthen your, your working relationship that you were able to use what you learned on Atomic Blonde kind of here on Bullet Train and kind of even going forward in your career. But that was a, a big movie. And I love that film. And, and we're just we're, you know, we want to celebrate that film as well. And kind of where, what it did for you, both of you in terms of professionally. Oh, Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it is a huge uh, uh, turning point for us, moment for us, really. Um, and what what was great about that film is it was a you know, again, it was based on a book, but it was original IP. It was based on a comic, a graphic novel. Right. And um but it was original and we had, we could, can, we could put our imprint on it. And I think um, a lot like bullet train, it's a great novel, but it was not as known in the, in the, in the world. So we got to put our imprint on it. We weren't at a service of franchises where we have done an, a great job. I think of delivering um, expansions of worlds and sequels and all of that stuff. But it's really fun when we as producer and director get to work on something that can have our, our unique voice like Atomic Blonde did. Um, and people see us as the filmmakers. We re we really are able to express ourselves with no constraints. And um, we felt that on bullet train as well. And I think it was like refreshing to come to that original space again and just like let loose and, and collaborate how we do. Um, and and there's one more thing about Kelly and our relationship, like with each film, we, we build more trust for each other. And, you know, there's like, um, we protect each other in terms of like, um, yeah, protects the creative, but is incredibly additive to the creative in terms of casting costume, art department story in particular. It's, it's, um, I, I don't really try to separate us in terms of like uh, filmmakers in sense, like we're equally impactful on these things, you know. That's very sweet, but it's not true. <laughs> it's totally no, you true. are awesome, Kelly. You are. <laughs> we do have a unique relationship. And I think that, um, look, I mean, I approach filmmaking as collaboration anyway. So I'm always in the, you know, when there are people that I trust and I trust their sensibilities, again, whether it's story or aesthetic um i'm gonna lean in and i'm gonna listen and so i have a gate a great uh, key collaborator here oh thanks mm. yeah i mean it's interesting to bring the two up like you just did like look with atomic blonde i was i introduced the material to david um with bullet train i did as well um huh. you know it um, I think they're both about, you know, in, they're 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 both really interesting thematically, you know, um, you know, and and, and I, arguably bullet train is a, an evolution in storytelling. You know, I mean, you know, while there were a lot of plot sort of like it's a house of cards, that movie and you got to like all the plan payoffs like work beautifully in that movie. And it was complicated to figure out and make in the process. Um, mm. This one's got that with seven characters that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I think one of the things that David did so effectively in both is give these 
hard-boiled assassins and really sort of naughty guys a lot of heart and that's one of his special sort of things that like you know he is despite all of the violence and the crazy and the wild and the curating of the cool and the gorgeous imagery you're connecting at a, on a lot of levels with the characters no matter who they are and no matter how you know the journey that they're on and he does that you know he that did that so well with Lorraine Broughton and he did it so well with every single character in this movie and so it's just been really fun to watch that. I agree. Uh, There's a yeah. level of humanity to all of these people. Yeah, go ahead, Jake. I know it's been fun for us to watch as well. I want to follow up really quickly on Atomic Blonde because I also love that movie. Um, if only just because I feel like over the past few years, there's been this conversation, however serious it is, I don't know, but um, about the idea of recasting Bond uh, with a female actor. And whenever people ask me about it, my go to response is. I would, would rather more atomic blondes like I would rather more just original content where the, the character happened to be female rather than turn a male character into a female character. I'm curious as to where you guys stand on that, because I want more original content like atomic blonde for female actors to have original franchises on their own because because atomic blonde to me is a perfect example of what that can be. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's room for both, you know, and I think that um, the goal is to get more representation. I think the genre is stronger, the more variety of stories we can tell and the action stronger, too, because the way that women fight or, you know, especially when it's character based, the way that we play into action, obviously, whatever the, you know, difference is in each character which includes their ethnicity, their gender, their everything, you know, allows for you to do even, you know, be even more inventive in the action space and have more highs and lows in the melodrama. And that's what we're looking for, um, you know, no matter what. But I think we really were we were so supported in making this original that we sort of only want to make originals from now on. I, I don't know if that'll be the thing, but it just, you know, it just felt it's just so exciting to see everybody, you know, wanting this and getting, you know, and wanting to come and wanting to support it and, you know, feel the energy of like what fresh something fresh um, might bring, you know, and that just is really making us feel like uh, really lucky, really fortunate that we get to do that. You know, and David, you came up working on film, 35 millimeter film um, in, in, in the in the work that you were doing prior to the digital age. And uh, I don't know if Jonathan shot this on 35 or if it was digital, but I, I wanted to ask about your just your take on that. What did Jonathan shoot the film on? And also just that digital to film change perspective that's been happening in the business over the years. Well, it's crazy how quickly it did change. I remember being on set. Uh, it might have even been. Oh, I, I it's so long ago now, really. But it, it changed overnight. It was like one day we yeah. were shooting film and then the next day we were shooting these Sony, uh, you know, sort of HD cameras and um, and people really hopped on board, you know, quickly again for a lot of the logistical reasons and actually the post reasons, you know, you you know, uh, you can see Fincher loves digital and there's a lot. I know. Snyder love digital and they embrace it and they deliver incredible work. And those cinematographers embrace it and incredible work. We shot on digital. All our movies have been shot on digital. Um, we did shoot the wolf sequences on film. I, I was wondering that I was like, I, I couldn't tell if you added grain that, that looked like, was that 35? Yeah, we shot 35. 
Hell yeah, yeah dude. That's yeah. Awesome. And so we in the desert and like nobody knows how to shoot on film anymore. So it was like, I think we got it. It's like it was so funny to watch. It's like, you know, the young, the young crews, you know, again, like as we make Getting more the air gun out. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like the, 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 check the gate. It's like, what? Gotta go again because of the gate. That's not a thing. Like it was so weird. So it's fun. like I we Jonathan and I have the same conversation at the beginning of every movie. It's like, do we want to shoot film? Do we want to shoot Oh yeah. Digital? And then they make us budget it. And then we make the decision eventually. But I, ultimately it comes down to the creative. I think, you know, there, um, if it's really the right format for us creatively, we would fight for it sometimes, but we have fun shooting the Alexa and, you know, the lenses that we, our crew that we created and Jonathan's created for different projects, you know, give us the aesthetic we're looking for. And, um, and again, the flexibility oftentimes allows you to do things that maybe you wouldn't do with film. That being said, there's things you can do with film from an action standpoint that you can't do with digital. You can't just put a little, you know, 200 foot mag on a, on a 235 and run around without tethered and, you can in digital, but you're on a little SLR or you're on a, a small red or something, which are all great now and getting better and better. But um, look, there's pluses and minuses. I think ultimately it comes down to what you want the film to look like. And um, I, I'm open to both. Like I, yeah. we, we love mixing formats too. Well, I'd argue bullet trains is, is like a, it's sleek. It's, it's, it's fine. It's like, it's, 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 it's HD, like being on it. Like it feels like you're really there. I, I think the digital worked well for this this project yeah. in my personal opinion so for sure for sure yeah you guys mentioned the desert scene so i really want to talk about working with bad bunny uh which just had to be phenomenal because also like a completely different experience than someone like brad who has a much longer filmography i'm sort of curious as to i guess what you guys just had to teach him about the concept of just being in a big movie like this and then also was he already in conversation with sony at that point about uh, el muerto like i know he's sort of getting prepped for that so also that just could that have been as them as a result of seeing his amazing work in this movie Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was a result of uh, the you know seeing him in this movie. I think Kelly, you I should mean, talk Eric, about it. Like they just, didn't. They were like. Um, I mean, I'm being lying. Like it was Kelly's idea to cast Benito, and um, it was such a brilliant a stroke a stroke of genius. And I think at the time, everyone was kind of like Sony. Even myself was like, what? Who? You know? And they're like, you know, the number one download person on Spotify. Hello, idiots! And we're like, oh, that guy. You know, okay, maybe. And then she's like, are you guys nuts? He's <laughs> and she was shaking the, you know, Sony suits and me. Like, oh, okay, well, we'll take a look. And obviously, he's incredibly compelling when you meet him in person. And he was his his work ethic is off the charts. And like. Yeah, yeah, there were a few ways to play the wolf. And originally, David had the idea that he was an older guy and it was his last love. And then, you know, those guys kind of weren't panning out and busy and COVID and, you know, also just kind of expected, you know. And so then it was like, OK, well, I think the world's trying to tell us that we need to go with like young love. This is a first love and it's actually more painful sometimes. And I was like, how about this guy who like his heart's on his sleeves and everywhere. Like he just exudes this like emotionality. Like, and I think that's what one of the things that people really respond to with him as a human being, just flowing, you know, he's just so amazing. Like his energy is just so amazing and modern and special and like, unlike anybody else. And he had done that stint on Narcos, which was pretty solid, you yeah, know? Yeah. And 
So I was like, you know, between his music videos and that, I think he can deliver what we need on this. And I think it would be a wowing moment for him to be the one with all this vengeance. And um, somehow everybody jumped on eventually. And and he was so awesome when he came in for the first time. Like he was a little gobsmacked. And, you know, they were like, oh, they're like, you know, he's going to need a like a, a like Brad size trailer because everybody was in for really short periods of time. So you're kind of <laughs> like, you know trying to get away with a little bit cheaper, like, <laughs> like yeah. and, and, um, and we were like, really? He's the big trailer. He's like, yeah. I mean, do you realize that like, he's a real rock star, like shit goes <laughs> down when he shows up and it's like, really? <laughs> so we got him the like nice trailer. And, and then it was like, you know, and yet he was so humble. He was like working harder, showing up more. We had some like COVID hiccups actually at the time. So he had to keep coming back and around because we were shifting around and he did. And he just loved every second of it and um, and had so much like discipline and grace. And yeah. I was just like, we were blown away by the we kid. We're like obsessed with him now. We would work with him again in a heartbeat. And I He's think he brilliant. did get the movie because of the material and, um, and he deserves it. Actually, Aaron Taylor Johnson got um, Craven off of the movie as well. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's, phenomenal in this. I mean, he's obviously great in kick-ass too. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a really good action uh, guy. Um, uh, David, I've, I've talked to, to so many people about you and Chad uh, over the years, because I try to explain to people how brilliant your films are. Like you go to the stairwell scene, in atomic blonde, or even the, the work on John wick and, and, and it's action that you can actually see. It's really choreographed. It's not quick edits. Uh, and I try to explain to people, I'm like, it's because it's, be, it's being directed by people who are behind, have been behind the scenes on films for so long. Um, but I, I want to give our audience just a, a scope of your career for a second, because it is incredible to think about like the beginning of your career. And now you're directing films. And, and I jokingly, I jokingly brought up Orgasmo and, and, and basketball, but those were films that I loved growing up that I had no idea that you were even ever involved in until looking at your credits when I found out who you were through the, like, you know, the matrix films and I was the John wick films. But um, t- talk about the beginning of that stage of your career. Like what were you doing on comedies like that at that time in terms of like, and what did that do to kind of propel you forward as to where you are now? I'm just wondering where you were at that point in your career. Well, I, it's funny you point that out. And I'm just sort of thinking about it now. It's like, you know, as a stunt performer with an eye to direct or to tell stories, you know, I, I didn't know at the time we were doing orgasmo. It's like one of the first movies I did. I love that movie. And I would, uh, that I, <laughs> would be in, you know, I'm in a leather bonded suit, a purple bonded suit. Would I ever be a director or thought I'd be a director? I don't I mean, as one does. As one does. Yeah. But, and purple bondage. Purple, purple bonded suit with the orgasma raider on my arm. And it was NC, that was an NC-17 film. Oh, it, was, it might have been the first one I ever saw, I think. I mean, it was crazy. But, um, you know, you got to, you experienced all these genres. Like, and so we were choreographing fight scenes for comedy, right? And then your next movie you work on is like super hard boiled and you're choreographing, telling a story that has drama and pathos. And like, how is this in my choreography? How am I defining this character? How am I taking him from A to B? And like, how am I upping the stakes? And so, and then the next thing you're working on is, uh, I don't know, um, something that's more superhero-y, whatever. And it's like, okay, how am I going to add mythos to this character? Like, how do we be true to the canon? And, and so, as I guess the experience of all of that early stuff and as I grew 
and being on the diversity of sets that you're on, if you're aware and you're like wanting to be a filmmaker and you want to tell stories, it's such a great learning. Oh yeah. Ground. Like I get to play in all these genres. And I think that's part of the reasons why the movies that I make have a lot of different things going on. I'm like, I love a great dramatic scene. I love a great comedic scene. Mm. I love a great action scene. Um, again, I want to take them on this ride and I want to provide all of that in the cinematic experience. And so, you know, could I just do a straight drama? Yeah, it'd be amazing. It'd be fun. But if I'm truly being myself as an artist, I kind of like all of it. You know, even in John Wick, the first one, there's elements of that dry comedy that is now sort of laid in through all of them. Right. Yeah. We just can't help it. Like, you know, we're, that's what we wanted to do with that character. We wanted to have a little levity to, you know, allow for you to access to that world. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I think it's like yeah. being a stunt man and a choreographer allowed me access to all these different tones and, and it don't filmmakers and influences and, you know, and, and really, poignant moments in time and where action changed for modern cinema too. People ask me all the time, like, why is John Wick's action so good? I'm like, because Chad was his stunt double in the matrix. It's like, like it's incredible what you guys have been able well, to do. Well, and also because we, you know, Chad and I, at that time, we had been choreographing, shooting and editing fight scenes for some of the biggest movies out there. All of the oh, movies, we like were just right? like the guys you call to do when you had an oh, action. Yeah or a fight scene. And so when we got to like spread our wings and like, Oh, now we want to show people what we, people have been rejecting for so long. Like, you know, cause everyone was into the shaky cam at that point. And we're like, this is what they need to see. We're going back to like a new version of Shaw brothers. Like we're going to hold on these long frames and we're going to see actors doing it. And like, and, and Keanu was game and Charlize was game. And like, mm. um, people are like, wow. And they're like, yeah. we've been wanting to do that for a while. So we, as choreographers, got to express ourselves that way. Well, Kevin and I that. are like that. Cool. We're, yeah. we're, we're the guys you call just to watch those movies. So that's so, <laughs> so it's a similar it's a similar kind of team. Um, there, there's a, a great moment in, in Bullet Train that to me is just like one of those like, oh, like that's cinema. And it is when Brad Pitt screams at a cute little old lady, eat a bag <laughs> of dicks. And I just I was like, that's that's brilliant. Wrote the line down. I was like, got to talk about it. Uh, I'm just sort of curious as to well, I guess how that came about. And then like I, I guess I, I get that she's an actress and like she's prepared to like hear things. And it, but like, do you sort of have to pull her aside? And be like, look, like Brad's going to say this thing to you. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Like, I'm sort of curious as to like any conversations that go into that line. She had a reply. Oh, we had, she had, she was a great, uh, great she actress. Was like, so good. Like, ready to. She was like, fuck me sideways. She said, <laughs> <laughs> and then Brad would go like, what? <laughs> I thought that would seem. Yeah. Great. She had plenty of improvs back. She, is awesome. she was, she was game. And yeah, when we, when that was, it was already happening. Like, but I don't was, even remember what the line in the script was like. There wasn't a line. It was just like, shh, shh, all right, lady, or something might have been the line. And then it became like, eat a bag of dicks or take a day off, Karen. Or we had like a whole list of them. Like, he did improv them, Brad. <laughs> Going off of Jake's question about, um, about the quiet car, I think you guys captured the awkwardness of a quiet car beautifully because I've been in those cars. I've met people that do that. And it almost feels like it's their job just to like, they want to sit there and tell you to be quiet. If you even breathe wrong, they tell you to be quiet. What is, what are your experiences have been on a quiet car? Is, has it been like that? I mean, I know, I know it's extreme, but it's like, 
I think you captured it like exactly how it feels. And I'm on the Amtrak from DC to New York. I deal with those people a lot. I see it happen all the time. <laughs> well, I mean, it was actually Tom Rothman's idea to make <laughs> buy a car, which I think is pretty hysterical. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. He may or may not be the one who's shushing everyone. A lot of Okay, there's a top Tom Rothman cameo in this. That, okay, that's no, pretty no, cool. No, 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 no. I mean, like on in, a regular in train, a real he, train, I he could might see be him guy. being the guy who might be shushing a lot of people around him. But um, it was actually a stroke of genius, and David ran with it immediately, which made Tom <laughs> super happy. But and then, as David does, he just took it to eleven because he he just always does. But like, um, yeah, I think it's like right. a really memorable scene. He came Great up scene. with it. It was on one of the first calls, I think, when we were. Ex- yeah, David was like, I want every car to feel different. I want, you know, it's got to, how do we like keep everybody entertained for two hours? Like, you know, on the same vehicle the whole time. That was one of his trepidations about doing the project at all. And so he had come up with all these different cars that he was going to make. And Tom was like, how about a quiet car? Yeah. <laughs> Fun to see him try to fight. And I'm like, that's a great idea, it's a Tom. a great idea, Tom. <laughs> wow. Hey, you run, you run a studio. <laughs> All right, Jake, he's, he's great. Genius. He's been great. That's amazing, guys. Uh, we hate to do this, but we have to cut you loose because Aww. you have. Um, Aww, we could talk wait, all day, Jake, guys. guys are great. We we do have a minute left, so I want Jake. I want you to ask your MPA question because I want to know the answer to this real quick. Okay, all right. Well, I'm going to jump in, and and JPI is going to kill me. But basically, I I'm in awe of the beauty of violence in this movie, and I'm curious as to what kind of battle you had with the MPAA in terms of of getting it cleared for that R rating, or was there anything you had to scale back at all? No, uh, no. I mean, the, the, I think we landed on the right choices. So I think when we actually got it in, we were we were in a good spot with them and they saw the sort of comic book reality that we were in. And um, they they fortunately did the right thing by us, I think. So we didn't really scale. I mean, I didn't scale back what I would have creatively wanted for this movie. I didn't want to probably version the end where we could we would have been crazier. But I um, we had already trimmed them back per what we were trying to deliver. Yeah, I think we've had we've struggled getting the MPAA ratings on other movies. On PG-13, <laughs> PG-13, like Hobson Shaw was harder. And I think with, this oh, is our, it's hard because yeah. it's really hyper violent, you know, and like a lot of gunplay. So that one's hard. That one can be hard. Is there yeah, like well, an R-rated Hobbs and Shaw? Like obviously not R-rated, but like, is there a, a violent version of Hobbs and Shaw? More violent? No, yeah. you know, it was just really, it was like fine-tuning the Samoan, the battle, the Samoan battle, oddly enough. You know, again, awesome. we um I had made it a I had a little more Braveheart sound effects in there. And Hell yeah. like, uh I think that they did they made us tone down that. And that and that was fine. It was really more sound than anything. But um, it took a couple rounds, which was I was surprised. You know, the other movies like Deadpool and and Bullet Train, there are so are they do give you obviously way more bandwidth. And, yeah, love it. And also, Hobbs and Shaw had the best uh, use of one f bomb ever when they both say it. So uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, that was really smart. Well, congratulations to you both. Uh, this has been an honor to have you on our show, uh, and we have been fans of the work you both have been putting out. Obviously, and obviously, David, your career is just super inspiring, just in terms of what you. you've done with action, and uh, you really have created an immersive way to tell stories. So, thank you for being on our show. We really appreciate it, and hope you both are staying safe. And uh, thanks for your time today. We love you guys. Thank you guys, so it's great to talk to you guys. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. 
Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you so much to our friends at Sony, first off, for hooking us up with the Bullet Train interviews and to David and Kelly for joining the show. I want to mention that we did pull out a couple of spoiler answers that they gave us as part of the longer conversation, and we're going to get them onto our YouTube channel uh, later on after people have had an opportunity to see the film, and then we'll probably package them into stories on Cinema Blend. So make sure you're keeping us locked into all of the things, uh, both Real Blend and Cinema Blend. Uh, and go see Bullet Train when it comes into theaters. I haven't seen it yet. I was on vacation and I didn't. I don't think I even had a screening in the market here, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. And we will talk about it uh, in depth later in the show. Uh, for now, we want to get to the Andor trailer, uh, the show that got pushed back till the end of September. It's the next Star Wars program that's coming to Disney Plus following up the disappointing Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Is that where we fall collectively on? Yeah. Uh, Jake, I know you said it was uh, a major disappointment in terms of that. Um, Daenerys did not like it. He did not. Not one bit. Um, And so here's what I'll say about Andor. I'll kick off the conversation by saying this. It is the first bit of uh, Star Wars marketing for anything uh, going back to the first trailer for Star Wars The Force Awakens, if not all the trailers for Star Wars The Force Awakens, because I thought they did a tremendous job of marketing marketing that movie and probably because they had a good movie that they could market. Um, I have not been excited as excited for star Wars project based on what I'm seeing in the marketing uh, than I am for Andor. I think it looks really, really high quality. It doesn't have the, because this has been a fault of the star Wars stuff up to this point. It looks like a television show. Even the best of the Mandalorian stuff still looks like it's on a TV budget. Um, Sometimes they're able to break out of that, but for the most part, they're like, racing back to Tatooine because they've got those sets built already. <laughs> um, but Andor looks like it was uh, shot. on I, Well, it was shot on location and it looks like it took really great advantage of, of its landscapes and some budget to really invest in the science fiction galaxy far, far away element of it. Uh, I'm intrigued to spend more time with Diego Luna's character. Obviously it's a prequel to uh, rogue one, a star Wars story, which many will argue is probably the best of the Star Wars movies that Disney has made since um, acquiring Lucasfilm. And uh, uh, Force Awakens takes that cake. Think so? Think it edges oh, yeah. it out? 
They don't I, get credit. I, they don't get credit for remaking an already good movie. Sorry. They don't like A New Hope. Yeah, I forget. They don't that's like true. A New Hope. No, no you are talking, talking about you and Kevin. You two. Oh. Wait, do. It's a joke. It's a joke. Everyone scale back. Oh my god, it's a joke. I know. Everyone, take a deep breath. I do have a genuine question. Like, do we all collectively? Am I the only one here that thinks Force Awakens is the is better than Rogue One? No, I probably uh, feel that way too. They're both great, but I, I think. think but, um, but if we're talking yeah, about the best thing they've made, they didn't Force really Awakens. make the Force Awakens. They just took an already great oh, movie. Come on, Stop. Man. That's not. That's it unfair. Again. That's unfair. I, it's no. not unfair. It's what they did. But it's still a great movie. <laughs> yes, but I'm saying the best one they've made. To me, Rogue One gets the bump because it is very original. So I would I, I give Force Awakens the bump because I think Han's death is one of the best Star Wars scenes ever. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I just emotionally love that scene. But you also say that about the Darth Vader scene in Rogue One. The Darth, but because I think the third act of Rogue One's phenomenal. I think I've always said this before. I think Rogue One pulls the greatest trick of all time. Um, I don't mind. But you the always first say two. that. I, I find offense in that. You know, sometimes offense? people can just yeah, because I, you say that I, people only I, like it because of the third act. It's possible that people, people said, you I, you I, do I, you say that quite a bit. You say people are tricked because yes. they like the third act. I think when you walk out of Rogue One. After seeing that Vader scene, it puts you on a mental high that is so it's one of the top five Star Wars scenes of all time that I think it I think it kind of makes you forget that the film itself is not as good as that moment. Obi-Wan. I wish I wish cool Vader scenes helped Obi-Wan. Well, it would have to have cool Vader scenes in order to help Obi-Wan. You don't like those Vader scenes? I want to hear Jake's Jake's opinion on this. Yeah, I want to hear your take on Force Awakens versus Rogue One. Settle it. I mean, it's not settling because everyone gets an opinion, but I would it's the difference between us doing favorite and best Rublin pick. Um, I would much rather I would probably rather watch Force Awakens. It taps into my nostalgia bone, which I love to, to, to have tickled. Um, but uh, Rogue One's yeah. a, a better film. Mm. Um, I think I think it's just, I, think, I think it's just better made. I think it's a higher quality movie, um, which is interesting because that's the one that got tinkered with behind the scenes, you know? Right. So and I'm, I'm just I'm just waiting I mean, for the so moment. Jaws. There's, there's hopefully there's going to be a moment in Andor where they're talking about destroying the Death Star and they're going to say, you know, we could do destroy the Death Star and or do right. this. this. This isn't an and or discussion, they'll say. Right. And I'm hoping and that that's that if that lines in the show that I'm I'm golden. And then they'll to cut go. to a reaction shot of a dog and he'll go. It's the dog from up and he's like squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, you said you had strong opinions about the Andor trailer. Yeah. Uh, being our resident Star Wars uh, fan, I mean, I I, 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 I agree with you in that I do think it looks like the highest quality uh, tele- television Disney Plus Star Wars product. Yeah, um, it looks fantastic. It looks like an extension of Rogue One, and I loved the dirty, like grittiness. Oh, it of, is of told from one. the street level of the yes, rebellion, which, which I, I, I really like. That Love shot that. of of the people looking up and we seeing the Star one. Destroyer yeah. like dominating the sky yeah. is cool. That's cool as hell. Like it, like there are ways to tell these stories from people who maybe aren't on the front lines, but maybe are just kind of there at the beginning when the ball starts get you know starts getting rolling on the rebellion. That being said, oh. we um are fully aware that Disney Plus knows how to cut a really good two minute trailer. For their Disney Plus series, sometimes mm-hmm. because the series itself is only two minutes good. 
So, <laughs> you know, I, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. Yeah. So look, is that a great trailer? Absolutely. Like, like, would I watch that trailer again? Absolutely. But do I think that that is necessarily indicative of the quality of the show? Absolutely not. And if you're looking for the proof, look at every other trailer for every other Disney Plus series in which the trailer and marketing looked fantastic. And then the series itself was crap. So I reserve right to uh, to withhold my judgment until I see the final product because Disney Plus has burned me too many times. Two hot takes. One, uh, I think The Mandalorian is better than Rogue One as a show versus just overall as a, in terms of like, I, I think The Mandalorian is a better product than Rogue One. Um, second hot take. I think She-Hulk looks better than Andor. Oh, God. Hold on. Hold I on. do. You I don't do. honestly believe it's that. spicy outside of the premium feed. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get spicy early. I, I liked, now again, to, to Jake's point, like trailer cutting is an art form in its own. Um, I always go back to Suicide Squad. It's one of the greatest trailers of all time. But I genuinely thought the She-Hulk trailer looked better than the Andor trailer. The Andor really? trailer just felt like, I just, I don't know, it just didn't do anything for me. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I love Diego Luna. I'm excited about it. I will definitely watch it. But I definitely do not. And they're, they're releasing three episodes, I think, in the same day, from what I understand. Okay. Um, I could be wrong on that. The end of the trailer says the three episode premiere, um, which is interesting. Um, because I guess maybe that has something to do with the delay and well, kind of what they're. I think there's 12 episodes total. So right. So they're doing three up series. Yeah. And plus they're what? They're a month late, technically speaking. So they probably have yeah. to backlog it. Yeah. Okay. Was it originally always three or was it going to be one? It was going to be two. They were going to have two, a two episode premiere. So I guess okay. they moved it to three when they moved it back. Listen, I, I think Rogue One was a cool experiment because it was basically like a fan fiction idea of what would happen for the people who, you know, were going to destroy the Death Star. And I think it was a cool concept and then having all these characters die. And, you know, it, it is an interesting per, uh, concept, but also there's there's a weirdness to knowing a character's dead and kind of like the stakes that would be involved in a series like this. Black knowing Widow concept. And but but weirdly, Black Widow, I liked until it went full CG um, at the end, like I was really, really interested in the grounded nature of that of that show and like the hand to hand combat kind of reminded me of the Winter Soldier stuff that we got from the Russo brothers. But I listen, I'll watch it. I, to be honest with you, I think what sells me here is Diego Luna. I just think he's a fantastic actor. And I think at the end of the day, he would be the reason why I would probably tune into it. I'm just not oh. interested in this story as much as I was maybe with Obi-Wan, which I didn't even finish. Um, not not just by not because I, I made an active decision not to. I just haven't got a chance to finish it. Um, but I yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm in. I'm just I'm just kind of I'm just kind of Star Wars to help, to be honest, I man. Some, I really am. I want some and K2SO. Marvel. I hope K2SO shows up. Great. Char- that's a great cool. character. Yeah, yeah but I also think it's a bigger I, I was more checked out until I saw the trailer and that I'm with you and that like it's like, well, I don't really like Cassian. Like, do I really need more stakes? of that character? Yeah. But the show itself seems like it's very much, and again, this is sort of what Rogue One touched on, which I really liked. It's the seeds and the the the, the pebble that started rolling down the hill that sure. turned into the rebellion. So yeah. that I think you know. So if the focus of the show is the birth of the rebellion, and Cassian is just a small part in that picture, mm-hmm. like I, honestly, I did not know, and I'm they, I'm assuming they announced it, and I must have missed it. But I did not know to the trailer that Forrest Whitaker was back. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Mr. Skarsgård, uh, you know, I think is is, is a, a, an amazing addition a to major that. major part. Yeah. 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 Um, so I like I'm, his voice. His yeah, voice I'm, is really kind of soothing. Does, does Star Wars have a prequel problem? I'll tell you what. Here's, here's one thing about overall. Because 
generally speaking, okay, Rogue One, I, I do think is a good movie. I don't, I don't love Rogue One, but I think it's a good movie. Does Star Wars have, hang on that question, does Star Wars have a prequel problem? That's no, been I a know. question since 2001. Star Wars, Star Wars has a lot of problems. <laughs> no, I know the obvious, the obvious prequel aspect of it, but in general, like Solo, I didn't particularly love. Um, these, these stories that are in between uh, Obi-Wan, um, you know, this. Uh, well, they I, I just, won't that, leave this time period. Right, yeah. right. And I think that's kind of like what I'm... <sighs> But Rogue I'm, One, I, I, I feel yeah. that way. I agree with you. I feel that in general, movie industry wide, I'm kind of over the prequels. I think that it's almost impossible to create a prequel that will keep you interested because you kind of just know where people are going to end up. But Rogue One is the rare example of a prequel that was that that was that was like interesting to watch through the end. So this being close to that gives it a chance. But I'm very much over the like, let's see what we that character to. is doing. Like, we yeah, like what be- happened in between episode three and seven or I mean, I'm just like, like there's I get it and I get the the need for it. And it, it is a cool concept. Like the Obi-Wan idea was cool as shit. I, I thought that was a really cool. Co- like I would I, I was very interested in that that drama and that that and Hayden's arc and all that kind of stuff. And I just think, I don't know, for me, it just hasn't delivered. And it, it, it's almost as, as if they're like. They're just plugging these things in like we have all this space. Let's no pun intended. Let's just plug stories in here. And I and I and I just I don't know. I'm all in. I'm just down for maybe something different in the Star Wars universe or maybe just stop making Star Wars material. I mean, I get that it makes a lot of money, but I'm just they never you're really kind of like isn't that what Taika is doing? Isn't Taika saying like, okay, I want to get us far away from I was going to say, unfortunately for Kevin, the person they hired to do that. I know. uh, (laughs) And then then Han Solo is going to do a dance to Abba with lightning bolts out of his hands. We won't see it. Yeah. We won't see it. Yeah, we, I, we, gotta, see it. <laughs> we gotta we gotta take a hot minute and, and return to She Hulk trailer looks good because <laughs> I think it looks great. It's, it's did, did you see, did you see the clip they released? Wait, yes. Gabe, you're with me. I think the She Hulk trailer looks cool, man. I'm excited about that show. It doesn't look better I, than this. I'm I'm not with you on that, but I do agree. I'm excited about She Hulk. Yeah, I also I love but but again, similar to the to the to the discussion we're having about Andor. I just think Tatiana Maslany is awesome. She is. And yeah. I think she's going to crush this role. Um, I also really like her with Ruffalo. I love those moments. I love those. I, I kind of like that. I don't know. I, mean, I, have, maybe, conceived, maybe I have conceived multiple versions uh, of a tweet that has tried to express the sentiment. Uh, nothing has looked worse in the Marvel Cinematic Universe than the marketing materials for She-Hulk. I think it looks like some of the worst stuff really? I've ever seen. And I stopped myself from tweeting it because I'm like, I just don't want to be too mean to a thing I did haven't you, seen yet. Did you see the new trailer that dropped? The new trailer was on great. vacation. The new trailer was good. Um, was it? Was it I good? I did. It's heavy it, it, on the training. Intrigued right? me more than Andor. The first trailer and was was actively bad. I agree with that. This one. The second one also, can we acknowledge that like there's been no greater character that has been like, for lack of a better word, ruined or neutered in the MCU than the Hulk? Oh, well, I told you I'm sick and tired of smart Hulk. Wait like, a second. What, like, really? the, like that direction of the Hulk, I think, is one of the most like like devastating destructions of one of their oh. cool characters I've I've ever seen in pop culture. I disagree. I kind of my, my only in terms of the way direction you're going, Jake, the more I think about I mean, I love Endgame. I, I, I don't love what they did with um, Thor as much as I did when I first saw it. I just kind of mm. like don't love that arc. And I get it. I, I'm all I'm completely understanding of the emotional aspect of it and the PTSD and kind of what led him if, to the well, drinking. If they had handled it, it that way, they turned right. it into a joke. They yeah, didn't and handle I think, it. The way you're describing it sounds fantastic. They didn't right. do that. 
it's kind of like, but kind of like what you're saying about Hulk. I don't, I've kind of liked the Hulk stuff. I mean, one of my favorite scenes in the entire MCU, and people can laugh at me for this, is the, is this like really funny bit with Paul Rudd and, and uh, Professor Hulk when they do this taco thing. And it's just, it's just like a funny moment in the, in the movie. But I don't know. I, I, because of moments like that, I also think that, that Ruffalo's Professor Hulk, I think is, is an interesting version of the character. I, I don't, but I kind of feel the way you do, but kind of about Thor now a bit in terms of what they did in Endgame. But, but, but I, I, my knock you know. about the whole Hulk thing is that I feel like we're not getting the Hulk. We're getting Mark Ruffalo in Ooh. Hulk CGI. Like we're not sure, getting, sure. We're, not, we're not getting like Bruce Banner and the Hulk and the whole like, yeah. transformation. Like I miss that. I miss but, like but, Bruce Banner trying to keep his shit together so he can transform into the Hulk. But he has, and to your point, Jake, he has, Arguably, I would argue top 10 MCU lines ever, which was I'm always angry. Right. Like, that's my secret. And which is like, kind of like one of like the most badass moments years ever. ago, man. But, that, was, that was a long dude, time ago. How great is the bit in Endgame when they go into New York and he sees himself getting angry? You're, you're, I, you're I, selling the wrong guy on Jay, it. It's funny, man. Jay, I, and, and I'm not trying to throw you under the bus this because you feel how you feel. But I feel like that argument is you're asking to pick and choose what they iterate on and what they just force feed you over and over again. Because having Bruce Banner... And the Hulk is a thing that the Hulk's been for decades. Right. Yeah, but, but at least keep Professor in mind Hulk that the is a one new thing. solo MCU movie where we got the Hulk alone doing that wasn't Ruffalo. So we, you know, we've gotten Ruffalo doing that like in in conjecture yeah. with everyone else. But like th- this bit, this this whole like he's just going to remain Hulk forever. It's just like well then what what do we do? Then he's but not see, a, I don't think that they will. Hulk anymore. I think they're holding like I'm, I'm hoping out I'm holding out hope that eventually they're going to figure out some way to dramatically. Have well, him lose the that's ability the thing. He's, to. He's not, it's not dramatic anymore. In the Hulk Sh- is no longer. The Hulk is a joke well, now. Well, in well, no, Shang Chi, Infinity- in Shang Chi, right? Shang Chi spoilers post credits. Yeah. In Shang Chi, he's he's Bruce Banner. Yeah. He's oh, got the, yeah. So, so, so the coolest Bruce Banner thing we've gotten is in a Shang Chi post credit <laughs> scene. <laughs> well, no. Is, I, I is Shang Chi best phase four? No, no, no way home is. We I are mean, aside, aside from no way home. <laughs> spectrum of fear. We're all over the place. Is your hair going gray? <laughs> it is. It is. It is. My um, back is giving but out. But Shang Chi is probably second. That'd be interesting. I think it uh, is second. We didn't talk about Dustin Daniel Cretton directing uh, Kang Dynasty. I think that's a Huge. great choice. Oh, uh, we didn't talk about those two Avengers movies in the same year. Is that right? Did I see that graphic? Yes. Was right? July For and now. November. For now, is that really going to happen? You For can now, do yeah. Two let's, in the same let's, year. Well, the only way that that'll really happen is if the stories are connected. Yeah. I don't know if one's going to well, feed into the other. But how far but, apart was Endgame and Infinity they were War? A year, I guess they were. You guys say apart. that, but all Marvel movies now are just small Avengers movies. No one has a yeah. solo movie. All really? Marvel movies are trailers for the next movie. <laughs> He's not. You're not wrong. It's not, yeah, it's it, not I mean, incorrect. It lit, the movies literally end on a title card. It says we will return. <laughs> like it's like a also, here's, a little, here's, a, here's Harry Styles. <laughs> All right. right. Well, just in time for uh, back to school. We got a movie coming to theaters this week called Easter Sunday. Jake, you saw Easter Sunday. Yeah, I, I So I don't know anything about Joe Coy. I'm not familiar with this comedy, but he came out at CinemaCon uh, and presented the footage for this movie and did like 15 minutes of off the cuff stand up about like to the CinemaCon audience and just crushed. Like he was hysterical. So I really hope that this movie captured uh, some of that humor. Was it was it funny? So th- this is what I think could be potentially interesting. Uh, I actually just spoke to Joe Coy uh, today, actually. Hey, um, there you go. Super cool guy. I actually do like his stand-up quite a bit and have seen a lot of his stand-up work. Okay. And I think maybe that's what worked against me because there were full-blown jokes and chunks of his stand-up oh. integrated 
into That's this movie so much so that I was like, I've heard this joke before and I've heard, oh, I've heard this. But his bit. stand-up oh, oh, is take- sort of autobiographical, isn't it? Yes, it's very much about his family, stuff like that. So, But okay. like in, in this new movie, his uh, son is uh, has like a C plus in math. And goes to private school and he does this bit, which he's done before on stage, which is we pay them $30,000 a year. You'd think that's enough to earn him more than a C plus in math. I got, I could, you could get a C plus for free in public school. Like it's a funny joke, but it was funny when I heard it on stage years ago. As do they do that? Because people, they just assume people had not. I don't, I don't know. Maybe so, but like he doesn't have a writing credit on this. Um, which I mean, still, it seems very like a you know his mom's very much a part of this, and his mom's very much a part of his stand up. If you know his work, I also feel like the movie is just not very well made. Um, mm-hmm. There were a couple of shots where I thought you guys didn't take like 10 seconds to light that better. Like, oh my god, that is super over. Like it looked honestly like you know sometimes we get screeners. That will tell you, hey, it's not done yet and you're, you're not allowed to review this because we're still fixing the lighting. It, it honestly kind of felt like that. Um, but I'm assuming seeing as the movie opens in like three days that it wasn't the case. But there are some shots. There are some shots that felt like pickup shots that they had to go back and shoot in front of a green screen um, that because they, they had to like slide them. Like they were just a hand, like in, in one sequence that felt like there were shots in front of a green screen, like badly done in front of a green wow. screen and then cut to. Like really poor. It just felt poorly made. Let me. I, guess. I can. I actually know the answer as to why that is the case. Um, because at the end of the day, Joe Coy likes to wrap around five o'clock, uh, have a highball, take a shower, and then go get dinner with like Humphrey Bogart. Are you talking about right? Joe Coy? Or you're talking about Gabe. And at the end of the day, at the end of one day, the word came down that they said, uh, Joe Coy is, is looking forward to wrapping this day. <laughs> It's a really <laughs> inside joke. This is a very and, and, and honestly, I'm really waiting to see how long you're going to take this because it takes was, like 15 minutes for this joke go, to play out. I was so, going to go all the way to the yeah. end. The flying nun, <laughs> <laughs> the chuckle club, play the Marciés, play the Marciés. All right, sorry, keep going. I do want to shout out Jay Chandrasekhar who uh, who directed the film, uh, who did uh, Super Troopers, which I, I oh, he's, nice. he's really great. Also, did, did you he, see it? Did you see this film, Kevin? No, 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 no. I haven't seen it. I, I, I'd be curious. And look, like when it comes to like the technical stuff like i'm not the person on the show that, that really notices that sort of stuff like that falls into morning your guys camp so i feel like if i'm noticing these things if mm. i'm noticing like oh that looks like a bad pickup shot or like oh like the lighting on that shot is like super overexposed and looks super rough i feel like that's saying something and again yeah. i think the humor aspect of it's really interesting i think the target audience for a movie like this might be fans of his yeah. But if you're a fan of his, there's a good chance you already know all the jokes that are in the movie. That's interesting. That's mm. interesting. Yeah. We'll see how that plays out. Um, in limited release this week is a horror film that uh, we want to put on your radar. And I think Gabe and I have spoken about it a couple of times. It played at South by Southwest. It is called we Bodies, Bodies, South Bodies, by Bodies. Southwest. Jake and Kevin couldn't see it, but we said Sean, South could you uh, give that another take so people I've, can hear what you just said? I've seen it twice now. Uh, Jake, I've seen it twice. I've seen it twice. Gabe and I showed in Austin. I've seen it twice. Jake and Kevin couldn't see it up. What's the name of the movie, Sean? It's called Bodies, 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 Disrespectful. The director's coming on the show. What disrespect? Uh, Jake wasn't part of the interview, so he doesn't care. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's called Bodies, 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 and it is uh, spectacular. I'm going to tell you very little about it. Um, I will let you know that it is a murder mystery. Uh, it's set in a mansion during a hurricane party. 
Uh, and it is uh, aimed. This is where Gabe and I, when we get into the conversation of it uh, and Gabe, I want you to really have a fun time listening to the answers that the cast gave me as well, too. Yeah. Um, it's very heavily aimed at uh, Gen Z. And the, the dialogue is the situations are and they talked at length about the work that went into uh, trying to capture the voice of. And I only bring it up because uh, I thought it was really funny. Gabe thought it was a little bit overdone. If that's fair. Is that fair to say? Well, so I was going to save that until I, I when I'm pitching the movie to people, I usually refrain from saying that because when you and I talked about after the movie, I asked if that bothered you and you said no. And I was like, OK, then maybe it just stuck out to me because I love the movie beside that. It just some okay. of the dialogue starts okay. to look like you could read it sort of thing. Gotcha. OK, so anyway, uh, that's opening and limited release. It'll go wide uh, next week. That's when we will give it our full review. Uh, still spoiler free. And then we have a conversation with the director uh, coming to the to the show, uh, the main show next week, um, which leads us to. And the a- film is scored by Disaster Piece, by the way, who scored uh, It Follows, um, oh. I believe. He discusses yeah. a little bit that collaboration um, in our interview next week. Yeah, he's he, uh, his name is Richard, I think, because it goes by Disaster Piece. And I think he did Under the Silver Silver Lake as well. Um, really great composer. Um, so I'm really excited cool to see stage it. stage name, Disaster Piece. Yeah, that's that's a, it's also great. the name of a. Um, Slipknot song that I love too. So, really? oh, Kev, yeah. we had a long conversation with the director about music and her use of music, and I, I was going to ask her about Drowning Pool, but I oh. really oh. didn't think she was going to know who Drowning Pool was. I want to know uh, the just, answer to this. Just over the course of our conversation, because she's European, uh, and she keeps talking about how she's classically trained, and, and who knows? Maybe she's a huge Drowning Pool. She could be. A <laughs> big I was just going to say Collider tomorrow is going to have like an amazing article about. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and the beginning of her it. answer is I've been waiting on someone to ask me this question. I so crazy. Sto- so the reason why Sean's making that making that joke is because Drowning Pool, the band, had a song called Bodies. I grew up on that album. I loved that album. Um, and I just the first thing I thought about when I heard the title of the movie was they have to somehow incorporate when you uh when you track. watch it and you hear the disaster piece music, you would be like, this would be kind of a you'd have to really take It'd a be weird. turn to drop that in. Yeah. Maybe a trailer um, song, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but maybe, it's, not, it's not really Gen Z. I guess that because that, that's cause the, tra- the issue. The music is very modern. The trailers are like a, it's hip hop and like really good. I actually like the song in the trailer. I don't know what song it is, but I really dig it. So, um, Kev, you and I both suffer from uh, ADD and, and that type of stuff. And so do, do you always have music in your head? Is there always a song in your head? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I need music playing like like I, I've been really obsessed with this guy named Denzel Curry right now who's uh, I Denzel think is Curry's great brilliant uh for people listening to our show have you seen him do a cover of uh Rage Against the Machine no but I'm seeing Rage Very Against the good. Machine tomorrow night and he did a great cover recently did you have you seen his have you heard his cover with the with the Bad Brains guys Eye Against no. Eye oh good really great but so for people listening to our show there's a great video by Denzel Curry which is kind of reminds me of a Tarantino film it's called Walkin um very very tarantino like like in terms of like the way it's shot the 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 lettering um but he, i i put his album on a lot because it, it's super like relaxing but he's also just a brilliant artist um i, I we don't talk about music a lot on this show um uh, but like i'm seeing rage against the machine tomorrow night and then i'm seeing kendrick the night after but check out denzel curry even if you are a hip-hop fan I, my parents were visiting this weekend and i had it playing and they were like this is really good i'm like the kid's like 27 years old brilliant artist um but yeah in terms of your answer sean yeah well, i i i the reason I, it's I kind of mood based yeah is because i i always have a song like some song playing in my head and yeah. i 
periodic moments, I will do some kind of a riff or just like do some sort do lyrics or something from yeah. it. And Michelle will turn to me and she's like, you always have like some something. And it's it's like a curse. It's almost like a yeah. curse. Right. And because you mentioned the drowning pool song a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> I was cooking um, and I was at the island in our kitchen and I'm going, let the bodies. In the <laughs> and I didn't realize that Brendan was next to me and he's staring at me like, like you're bodies. Why is dad chanting? Let the bodies hit the floor. And uh, it's just, was that's an great. To be fair, there are far <laughs> more awkward moments in life where that could have slipped out. You should have saw his yeah. face, Kevin, whenever he hit the, uh, like he hits the uh, symbol a couple times and then Sean just screamed in his kitchen to himself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's like the most domestic thing in the world. You got your nice little button up shirt. You're like cutting up yeah. carrots on your island in your kitchen. And you're like <laughs> on Hulu, but should be in theaters. Uh, Dan Trachtenberg yes. has a new movie coming yes. out called Prey. Uh, it is in addition to the Predator franchise. I will argue it is the best film in the Predator franchise since Predator. Yes. Okay, uh, good. I'm glad you said since because since I, was about, I, was, I was about no, to no, fight no, you. The first one's always going to first one's yeah. always going to yeah. be the best. Yeah. Um, Jake, tell style. everybody why prey is so good oh i'm starting out um why not? It, it feels like it has the dna of what made the original one great you know um even though even though here's what i'll say i actually like more than i dislike a majority of the predator sequels like i i don't really like hate on a lot of them maybe that weirdly enough the shane black one that came out recently um but for the most part like predator 2 i enjoyed the rubber Rodriguez I like one i thought 2. like yeah like i'm doing it that's the thing like it's it's sort of that like where your where your voice goes up like three octaves like yeah it's pretty good i even think uh, the the avp movies are fun yeah like they, i they, like they, the first one yeah fun so with that being said, this one actually feels like it earns itself a place on what is now, I guess, just a two person Mount Rushmore where it's just um, uh, Schwarzenegger and Amber Midthunder, uh, because I think it's granted never going to be as good as the original. But there the DNA is there. The, the world building is there. This the fact that I mean, what a brilliant concept setting it in the time of the Comanche Nation. Um, th- I mean, who's to say how many different moments in human history? A predator would I mean, why why would we say? But it also like shows an evolution to the character without getting into too many spoilers, like the look of the predator, the technology of the predator, the the equipment of the predator has evolved over the hundred years between the 1700s in this film and the 1980s um, in Predator. The the kills are brutal, but it also takes not like in a dragging out slow burn kind of way, but like it doesn't rush into it like it allows you to understand uh, who this tribe is. It allows you to understand uh, who these characters are. Um, she obviously uh, gets a, a majority of the focus, but you understand a lot of the secondary characters so that when things happen to them, you at least feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, when it kicks into gear, boy, does it kick into gear and so well done. And so beautifully, so much of the action is incredible and the kills are fantastic. And when, when humanly possible, which is a majority of it, the predator is a tangible walking like like human in a suit like so it feels like he's there it doesn't feel like it's not like in some of the the later alien films um where like the 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 xenomorph has just become a cgi creation like he is there on the ground on the set with them which makes it feel all the more visceral i i'd like to to reveal my one big massive knock of this film that took me out of it and then i'll turn it over but i would like to get i don't think so i don't think so and if it is gay feel free to cut it out 
there is a moment. Look, and we all we all know that the, the whole point of the, the, the not the point, but the thing with this film that at least the screener version I was given was the version that is in English. I know that they are going oh. to present a film that's dubbed in Comanche with English subtitles, but the version I was get well, I was given was the characters speaking English, mm-hmm. which okay, it's I a get mix. it, and I'm and I'm willing to yeah, a little bit of a mix, but I'd say mm-hmm. like ninety five percent English, but but mm-hmm. I'm willing to, I'm willing to like I'm willing to to get over that. The Comanche tribe, or at least this the, the lead character, comes across, because it's the 1700s, uh, a group of, of white Frenchmen. It's just, it's what's happening in, in American history at that time. Mm. And there is a, uh, a plot point or an, uh, uh, a moment in which the two are basically able to establish an important connection because both of them speak English. Mm, she speaks English. And the Frenchman speaks English. Okay. And I have a rib. I know we're talking about a film with a predator in it, but that <laughs> was the moment where I was like, now look, you can convince me maybe that like one of the group of Frenchmen in the 1700s at that time, maybe one of them had a broken grasp of English. But a plot point cannot be established between a young Native American girl and a 1700s Frenchman based okay. on the fact that they speak Dude, but perfectly I'll fluent tell, English. I'll challenge, I'll I'll challenge you, you on, on the fact that you're not a historian, though. Do we know that like the French in the 1700s weren't also as fluent in English as they are now? That's the part that I'm willing to like sure. buy. Like I'm willing to buy that like, okay, maybe like members of this, of this French group right. spoke a brick. Like, okay. But, but they're not speaking they, English, they're not by speaking the way. English with her. Right. Right, right, no, right. no. The, the Comanche aren't speaking English right. either. Right. But okay. So, so, the, so then, so then the, so then the assumption is that this member of the French uh, community can speak Comanche. So, so, so basically, so, so basically your point, I agree with half of it um, because so, okay, so this is what I, what I've come to understand and it is a little convoluted, but in the beginning of the film, they set a precedent that when you're hearing them speak English, Mm -hmm. they're actually speaking Comanche in the world of the movie. Sort of like, uh, what was the Tom Cruise movie that they sort of, was it Valkyrie? What'd they call that movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They spoke German. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just kind of melts into English. Right. So the characters, while you're hearing English, they're actually speaking to each other in Comanche the entire time. Sure. Um, And then to to Jake's point, the, the actors went back and redubbed did the entire film again in Comanche, which, which is going to be, which is, which is be an option on Hulu this weekend. So to your point, English isn't being spoken sure. okay. in these scenes in the world of the movie. We just hear it. Um, okay. So the French part of it, I don't know how to explain. This that is interesting, because, though. So what if in the, yeah. the, the version that you guys weren't able to see where it's all dubbed? What if the French character is speaking Comanche in that dub? Like now that they, would be interesting. Because they just learned the language. Right, because Amber said in our interview that they all went back and did it. Uh, actually, the gentleman. Then, okay, who, then there the needed to be a plot. But there needed to be something described. There needed to be a like, hey, how did you learn the, the language of the Comanche Nation? Like, there, there needed is. to be. I guess I need to see it to know. I mean, I don't let know. me. Sean, it's a little, like, Sean, Sean, you saw. It. I, I know it's nip, but it like like a a major development occurs because these two people are able to communicate with each other, and that's just not something I it didn't feel catch. Li- it didn't catch me when to, I got to that point. To I, Jake's I'm, point, I'm though. Honest. To Jake's point, which I find really interesting, is that like I, I get where you're coming from because, like, for example, and this is a weird example, but I'm gonna, uh, I always go to Fast and Furious. Everything goes back to Fast and Furious. I mean, dude, it's all about family. I know. Family. But Cinema. Fast, Fast Six, Fast <laughs> Six. Movies. I I love those movies. 
Um, but there is a point sometimes like in the sixth one where they're on a runway and they're and they're doing this massive action scene. The longest runway in the world. <laughs> yeah. And, and at the end you of the day, that map, it shows a runway right. and it shows it going from like like France across Russia. <laughs> right. But at the end of the day, it's a Fast and Furious film. And I get that, that it's ridiculous, but that bothered me. And, I, and, and so like to, to Jake's point, I get it. Like if something like. It's weird. You're watching a Predator film. It's a sci-fi sure. film. And, and, it, and, like, it, and if it were just like a quick one, whatever conversation, but it's not like things. Yeah. So uh, things occur in that conversation that if, had there been a language barrier, which there would okay. have been, it would not have been allowed to occur. Okay. I'm trying to unpack this because essentially, if you think of the world as the characters all speaking Comanche, so then how does that scene play different? So so theoretically, in that moment. They're not speaking English. The French are speaking French. Sure. And the characters are speaking. Sure. The other characters because are speaking Because when you watch so. it in English and the characters speak French, they don't give you French subtitles. Um, right. Actually, weirdly enough, I was actually watching it with a young lady who speaks French and she was able to translate the movie, which was fantastic, which I'm was gonna, awesome. I think we, we should talk more about the movie and get off. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's, yeah, but fair. That's, that's, it's fair to have yes. a nitpick. That's, that's my knock. And yeah. I'm curious as to I'm curious as to what other I'm people's thoughts guess, are. I'm going to guess that in the Comanche edit that French character is going to yeah. be speaking to them. In it, it could have been solved right. with a line of like, Hey, like, but like, why Mr. wouldn't Mr. Frenchman? Know? Like, wouldn't like, I would why, like why, to, why? I haven't why, seen the scene. I haven't seen the yeah. movie, but like, is there anything in the movie that would lead you to believe that they just didn't happen to learn that language? Cause that's where they were. Well, at. I mean, you're told in the beginning that, ev- that the characters are all speaking Comanche. So the question well, would I'm be, are the fr- I mean, I'm saying it could have been resolved in mm-hmm. one line could have been like, Oh, you speak the, but like the, that's a little the, much, right? Why, why I would like they to, just speak the language? I, well, I think like this is an interesting to, discussion, by the way. I'm glad Jay brought this up because the language, the language is the language no, is a I huge it, part of I'm this just saying, movie. Like, is, it, is there any reason why we couldn't just believe that this character can speak their language and that's why they're speaking to them? It's true. No, it's I not like wrong. I mean, it, if they're all speaking Comanche and that's and the characters are, then that would probably make the most sense. I'd like to bring up two very important points that Jake overlooked. I, um, I want to talk about the movie too on a positive point as absolutely. well. But you go ahead. One, one, there is a very good doggo in this movie. Who <laughs> yeah. looks like Daenerys? She looks like yeah. Daenerys and is an excellent, excellent doggo. Uh, two, Amber Mid Thunder is going to oh, be a star. Yes. Incredible. She is going to be a star. Um, she is physically gifted. Um, she's a warrior. I mean, like th- th- that's what I think is missing Amazing. from most of the Predator films uh, that we've seen to date. Yes, that's a good point. By design is someone who is legitimately formidable enough to survive against a Predator. Uh, and what I loved about the decision to set her in the Comanche time is the weapons that are available to her. Oh, yeah. Just like the axes and like, just, like that they play with wood. So, you know, so well, like just like a tree taking an axe is like it's oh, the, the training. So How great cool, is the man. sound design. Oh, the sound design of the of weapons flying through the air and burying Amazing. themselves into trees is, is Dude, outstanding. That shot. Speaking of sound design of the tall grass yes as they're running and then yes. the, the the switch from the blood to the like the normal like that is such a cool like so dan good. trachtenberg is amazing by the way oh. and if you haven't seen 10 cloverfield lane clearly check it out but like this yeah go go ahead sean but it, it, it you're right the sound design is absurd well i was just gonna say like i just i want to give as much praise as possible to her because i think what makes a, a, a really good predator film is having a formidable opponent to go opposite the predator and i 100%. just think that, i think that she was fantastic but it also reminded me, um, because just when you watch it and when you see how um, how it's paced, the cinematography, the use of location, and you're like, oh, that's right. You can give uh, genre material 
to to a gifted filmmaker and they're going to make it really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it it, yeah. it could be the seventh Predator movie, but as long as it's a talented filmmaker like Dan Trachtenberg is is obviously turning out to be, uh, he's going to make an ex- an extremely entertaining film. Uh, and I'm going to be extremely mad uh, for the next few months that we never got a chance to see it on the big screen. That was my I, first thought when it when it went to credits was like, damn, that would have been good on the big screen. Yeah. Well, and I, I saw watched a tweet this today on a, oh. on a laptop screener and oh. still was was just riveted by it. And so uh, would love would love to have seen it in its proper format. I'm sorry, Kev. Go ahead. You're up. No, no, you're not. You don't have to say sorry. I, I cut you off. I, 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 um, I was shocked by this movie. Like, I so, so first of all. Like my journey with this film has really been really interesting. And I told Amber Mid Thunder and Dan Trachtenberg this is like, I can't believe they gave away that bear scene in the trailer mm. initially. But then when you see the movie, that scene is even more insane. Like, like they, they, it was probably, like, uh, Dan Trachtenberg gave a great answer about this. I need to post this. He said, he's, I asked him, you know, as a filmmaker, to give that scene away in the trailer, like that's, you know, that's a kind of a, that's a big scene that you kind of want to have as a moment in the movie. But luckily when you watch the film, it's a much longer scene as you guys have seen. Mm -hmm. And he compared it to Terminator two. And he said in the marketing for Terminator two, they could have not told you that Arnold was back and he was good. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, you know, honestly, you could have walked into Terminator two and had, had the, had the storyline of him being the bad Terminator. And then the trailers give that away. They yes. give away him being good. Yes. And that's, and I that's the, that. that. Neither do I. And I, but it's funny because I was eight years old when I first saw those trailers, which which changed my life. But like I was more fascinated by the T-1000 effects than kind of remembering that they made Arnold good. But in terms of the way Dan explained it was exactly that. He goes, the marketing gave away that he was good, but the movie, it didn't change the film. And then when mm-hmm. you go see Prey, that bear scene actually plays out differently as well. It's cut very differently for the trailer. And then the whole sequence is very different. Um, but in terms of the film, I sound design, Amber's incredible. Um, I, the score was amazing. It's, it's a phenomenal score. Um, and I think I just found the language aspect of it to be very interesting. I kind of like that idea that we're supposed to think they're speaking Comanche. The characters are, and then we hear it in English and they, they go back and forth. There's like a mix to it. Um, and I understand why it's in English. I think that it would have been overall take away all the dubbing and just do the movie in Comanche. Yeah. And then just subtitle it like um, like a, like an apocalypto sort of situation. Right. That would have been to me the ideal thing. I get it from maybe. And again, I don't know the reasoning behind it all. Maybe it's a studio thing, a financial thing. You I, get I a different know. budget if it's not going to. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, look, and there, I think, there's no predator in this movie. <laughs> right. Right. But I mean, but in all honesty, I think that would have been the ideal situation. Um, it's just a full blown movie in Comanche. Yeah. And then maybe you give audiences. I, I, I am not a dubbed fan. Um, I would rather hear the language naturally. And I think like for me, dubbing like it's funny when I was growing up, I used to watch a lot of these old school Jackie Chan films and they would bring Rumble in the Bronx or Super Cop over to the US or Drunken Master or whatever it would be. And I always hated like hearing these English language dubs over the characters. Mm-hmm. It just it just looked strange yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. And I think and I and but on the flip side of this, it is historical and very cool that they did this, that, that, that they, they're giving people the chance to watch the film with a dubbed Comanche. I just would rather have had it in real language. Anyway, so I know we got to move on. The movie's great. It's on Hulu. Um, I did see a tweet today to answer your question about why I didn't go to theaters. And I thought it was actually a really interesting tweet. I don't I don't want I don't remember who said it or I don't want to paraphrase it wrong. But basically, the Predator franchise has not 
done well at the box office. It really over the years, it's done fine. But people are talking about this idea of the movie going to theaters. And someone pointed out that Hulu has 45 million subscribers. This mm-hmm. is this is going to be a this is a perfect fit. And you're, you're talking to somebody here. I am a theater guy. This movie would have been amazing on the big screen. Um, but I'm also thinking about it from a financial standpoint. I don't know how well Shane Black's film did. I don't think it did I that don't great. Think it did well at yeah, all. Yeah, and I, and I don't. I mean, the first Predator obviously is a masterpiece. McTiernan's well, amazing. By the way, date that shit. Give people an I, option. Sure. And, and listen, I, I'm, I'm you're talking to somebody who is always theatrical. I'm just thinking of the logic. I understand this was a tweet that I saw that kind of explained it in a better way. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to the first Predator, this is the best since McTiernan's. And mm-hmm. it's amazing. I mm-hmm. do like Danny Glover's movie, actually, a little bit. Um, but going back to McTiernan's film, just last thing I'll say about this is, is that top five Sylvester scores? Maybe three? Predator. Ooh. That's one of his. Be- that's one of the best scores of all time. I mean, I his Back to the Future one is definitely the his Avengers. His. Avengers uh, is up there. Yes, but Gabe. that's pretty damn good, man. It's up you there. you brought up Shane Black's box office, so I pulled it up. It made a hundred and sixty million worldwide on an eighty eight wow. million dollar budget, but it better than I thought. But it only made fifty one million domestic. What did um? What did Rodriguez's movie make? Uh, that was this, Predators, this was, right? Yeah, yeah. and th- this was the this was the this was the thought process. Like somebody was made explaining, one twenty seven like, on a twenty four. Oh, no, I'm sorry, it made one twenty seven on a forty, these, and, these but only pretty, made fifty two again. It did okay. Domestic. Doesn't sound like they did I think, that bad. I get it. Like, yeah. and who knows? Maybe internationally, it has some the, some theatrical release. I don't. I don't know that answer for sure. But I, if you're seeing like a fifty million dollar domestic, I could see where. Yeah, they like it more as to bolster their streamer. But this is a theatrical movie. No question. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I do wish that we could see it that way. Also, I don't know if you guys saw this. And I know we don't pay attention to too much news outside of our our box office. But there was a film that opened in China this weekend. I think it did one hundred and forty eight million dollars in its opening weekend. It was called like wow. Moon Moon something. I don't remember the name of it, but I read that story. I'm like. Big, it was just like uh, this, this buried, buried story, like in, in entertainment wow. news. I'm like one hundred and forty eight million dollar opening. Like, like it is like like talking about worldwide. Was, box it, a, office. was it a Chinese film? Because that, that's kind of been the story the last handful of years. Is that they're check. building up their actual like industry, like actual is. filmmaking and, industry. And so many U.S. blockbusters are not getting time on Chinese yeah. screens. Here we go. Yeah. Check this. Out. So the movie was called Moon Man. Um, it's a heartbreaking oh, yeah, sci-fi comedy about a Chinese astronaut who believes he's the last human. This is from um, Hollywood Reporter. But yeah, it had one hundred and forty eight million dollar wow. opening. That's incredible. That is abs- Dude, literally say uh, anal- the, uh, THR is saying analysts expect the movie to make six hundred million dollars or more. I've wow. never heard of this film. Like, that's, that's, cr- amazing. that's amazing. Guys, before yeah. we move on from Prey really quick, can we just address... And again, I love this movie and I don't want to knock it, but the, the biggest problem the movie had is that it didn't end with credits of all the characters turning around and looking at the camera and smiling and giving like a <laughs> thumbs up at the screen, which, which which totally, if you learned anything for the original Predator, that totally suits the mood is you watching know, all of these people die and then have them turn around and like smile to the camera and like it point It would have been the, really great if Dan Trachtenberg did that just yeah. as an homage. <laughs> who would have gotten Nobody would have gotten it. Yeah. that's clicking on the yeah. new movie for the weekend goes all of them just like giving like a giant thumbs up to the camera is there a more badass shot in in film history than arnold and carl weathers's arms coming together for that handshake that's that's what it looks like when gabe and i are are the muscles in our arms yeah yeah that shot yeah yeah that shot is just so badass (laughs) so good 
Okay, so that is Prey. We're going to take a quick ad break. And on the other side, we are going to talk about Bullet Train. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, uh, Kev, keep the train going. No pun intended. The bullet train. Uh, And let us know how bullet train is. Mike Ryan, uh, someone we were friendly with, a colleague of ours, said uh, he said, I can't believe this wasn't called Snakes on a Train, which is such a great because the movie does have a snake in it, which is like even crazier. Um, I loved this film. I was I was like, I didn't know what I was getting into when I sat down because the trailers had been uh, I didn't love the trailers for this film. I didn't think the trailers were that great. Oh, I um, thought they were really stylish. The second one was better than the first. Okay. I didn't like the first trailer. Um, but the the trailers also don't really give you the exact tone. The movie's really violent, like a mm. really brutal R-rated action film that is like, uh, like shockingly, Jake and I were even talking about how they got an MPAA R rating on this because and Atomic Blonde is pretty ruthless. too. But this one is nasty, violent, <laughs> like some of the times. And um, I think uh, one of the things I love about this film, well, first of all, is one, Brad Pitt is so damn good in this. And it's like one of his it's just such a fun performance. He's great in it. Uh, he has his own tattoos on uh, from himself. Like it, it feels like it's partially Brad Pitt, but they, but then the other, it's kind of like his lost city character kind of continued. I would argue. Oh, sold. Um, that, yeah, in a he fun was my way. Favorite part of that movie. Me too. And I think, uh, you know, I think David Leach. So as you heard in our interview with David Leach, one of the reasons why I love him and Chad Stilhesky and the work they've been doing is you're coming at action from a perspective of somebody who, has been on the other side of the stunt choreography and the action. That's why I put on John Wick 3 the other day, and you watch that scene that Chad Stelhesky directed with the dogs and Halle Berry, and you're talking about these phenomenal, like, wonders of just pure choreographed action with real dogs biting people's crotches. And check out our Chad Stelhesky interview for John Wick 3. He was really wonderful. Um, but David Leach, on the same flip side of the coin, he was, you know, Brad Pitt's stunt double in Fight Club, so he understands action. Uh, and for a director to be behind a camera who can operate in a world where choreography is important, where we're not doing all these quick cuts of action. Um, you feel it more. Um, and also I got, you gotta give David credit for juggling so many characters that I also was fully invested in. I thought Joey King's character was great. I thought Aaron Taylor, Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry were fantastic. Michael Shannon's great. Sandra Bullock's great. I mean, Michael Shannon's in this movie. (laughs) Michael Shannon's great. And he's in the trailer. It's not a spoiler. Um, great. But he's great in it. And, 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 and I think it's an R-rated film and it's so well done. And, and as David told us in the interview, they used like the Mandalorian technology to shoot it, which they had this like train on a stage and they mm. they went to J- Japan and actually shot actual real exteriors and then blew them up onto the screen. That's so cool. when the actors were in the, the fake train, they were looking out the window at a real at a at real footage that was shot versus like a blue screen, um, which is kind of like how the Mandalorian uh, was done as well. It's a really interesting That's how technology. So many movies are going to be done moving it's forward. Cool. This is the new technology, but also take advantage it, of this. It's kind of like an upgraded version of of how they did it back in the day with with like with like rear projection and uh, uh, and even Quentin Tarantino tells us in our interview that you're going to hear 
about how they shot the Bruce Willis scene in Pulp Fiction when the background was behind him. That was very different, but similar in concept where something's really out there, like an interstellar when they're looking out the window of the ship. That's real photography that's being or, or, or images that are being put onto a screen. Um, so anyway, so Bullet Train, I, I, I was really impressed with it. It's it's frenetic. It's violent. Uh, Brad Pitt is fantastic. I would love to see more of this character. I would I would continue watching this character in different movies, maybe a prequel. Go back to his earlier roots. Um, there's a lot of cool things in here. I think Jake agrees. I, I, I was super impressed with it. It's beautifully shot by Jonathan Sela or Sela. Uh, amazing DP. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's really well done. I also thought Bad Bunny was great. I mean, there's some really good. There's some really it's fun. It's brutal, but it's fun. Kev, I want to pick up on the point that you were mentioning about uh, directors with experience uh, in fight choreography, because um, the last couple of nights uh, I've been watching the Expendables movies, uh, yeah. which are now available on Hulu. Um, and these are uh, examples of a director, uh, in this case, Simon West, who directed the second one, who doesn't seem like he has a lot of experience with fight choreography whatsoever, <laughs> um, because there are a lot of shots that I'm paying really close attention to. And maybe it's Stallone. Maybe it's the age of Stallone um, where it's not Stallone (laughs) in the scenes. There are like really brutal fight scenes where you only see Stallone's character from behind. And the cuts are probably, there's probably 30 cuts in like five seconds. Yeah. yeah. And then like, they'll turn around to Stallone and he'll be like racing. So like there's one on a plane where he's fighting a guy in the plane and it's clearly not Stallone. It's a young man who's moving around and beating the crap out of this other dude. And then they turn to Stallone and he's like winded as he gets back to the uh, passenger right. seat. Like he just fought. And he's like, <gasps> he's got to sit right. down. Yeah. And you, you can, that, you can feel it. Uh, Steven yeah. Seagal movies. No, where, no, like, no, no. Whenever like, it, like it'll be like a close up of Seagal and then zoom out. And for some reason, somehow the character has lost like 50 pounds. <laughs> and then like zooms in and he's like just like chopping away and then it zooms out and the dude's yeah. like 50 pounds lighter and it's yeah do you it's, guys uh, remember the mad tv sketch with steven uh, there was a guy who played steven seagal and this it, it is one of the funniest sketches of all time i don't remember the actor's name who plays him but like he goes into this restaurant and like it, it, he's being steven seagal and there's like there's this like old lady probably in her 80s who like is having a cup of coffee and she steals some of the sugar out of the bowl to go with her and he like looks over and he goes no chance. He goes over and like beats her up like <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a really like a joking way. But it's sure. it, it was just I don't know. I, I, I always think of Steven, Steven Seagal. I think of Matt, that mad TV sketch. And, and it, it makes me appreciate action directors all the more having watched yeah. uh, some of these expendables. Uh, Jake, you texted when you came out of Bullet Train that you love Funny Pit. Uh, yeah, it's just I mean, the word fun is that it's starring the, Tom Hanks. Tom Honks. Funny Pit. Yeah. Funny Pit and Tom Honks. I can't you wait for them I to make a movie I saw somebody together. who compared this this tone of Pit to the movie The Mexican with him and uh, Julia Roberts. I haven't seen that in years, but I guess the kind of the comedic aspect of it was there. I don't know if I've ever in, seen The Mexican. You ever, you ever seen that with... Uh, with uh, I know oh, it's it, really, but I haven't really I good, I've ever seen actually. it. Yeah, anyways. No, uh, I, I genuinely absolutely love this movie. Um, I just had a blast from start to finish. Like within... 90 seconds you get a vibe of like okay that's what this is what kind of movie it's going to be um but the thing that i think it's not getting enough credit for is just how layered and complicated the story is but how well it's handled i mean you can tell from the trailer that the train encompasses a pretty wide cast of characters all of which have different motivations for getting this briefcase Uh, but 
all of the like it's not just oh here's this actor and that actor this actor that actor and they're going after brad pitt and they're trying to get the briefcase and isn't it fun look at all the madness there is this beautifully really well like weaved story of crossed paths and misunderstandings and moments where characters actually met in the past but didn't realize it and past missions that maybe different people had been on and didn't i mean it's just so well done and really could have gotten lost in the weeds but i mean i just remember thinking like 15 20 minutes into it like oh i really need to pay attention to what they're saying because this is really important and like not difficult to follow but it's important for me to follow the path of like who everyone is because it ends up paying off and becoming important layer and in that way it's not just the brad pitt show and not just his character and everyone else all of the characters whether they've got 10 minutes of screen time or they're in the entire movie uh, are given layers and and motivations and things that move them forward so that no matter what it is that happens to them you at least have some kind of visceral emotional reaction one way or the other like that that aspect look there's a lot of aspects of it that were like the violence and the style and all that that like were top tier and i expected them to be top tier because of the people involved so i think the thing that i love the most because it surprised me the most was just how good the story is because based on the marketing in the trailer, I really thought it was just going to be strangers on a train. Like it was beating twists the crap and turns. Out of each other. Yeah, there, yeah. there are twists and turns and a very well structured script that I can only imagine had to be you guys know that um, that meme of Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny when he's like, like clearly like jacked out of his mind and he's got the all the um, note cards tethered with uh, with string to all like the boards. Like, that's how I pictured it has to be trying to keep all these storylines together. It's very well done. Um, there were Kevin. It's funny. I, I'm actually a little surprised to hear you say how much more you like the second trailer because there are a lot of things that they show in the second trailer that I really would have loved if I just had not known. And I don't want to say them in case anyone hasn't seen the second trailer, but I liked the first trailer. And then whenever I saw the second, I was like, oh, it'd have been cool if like I didn't know thing X, Y, and Z were going to happen. Um, so that would be the only thing I would say is that like the marketing has not been great in that it, just, it shows too much. And it, I feel like it's not really showing just how it, you know, great and intricate. But Kevin, I, I have to give you credit because, and you haven't said it yet, but when we got out of the movie, you summed this movie up perfectly and you oh, said yeah. it by saying that it's the Bay of Quentin Tarantino and Guy Ritchie had a baby. And that's, that should be on the poster. That should, that's, I mean, that's, if that doesn't sell, if you listen yeah. to this podcast and that doesn't sell you, then I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that's the perfect way to describe it. Yeah. It has like, like, like in terms of character, it's like a Guy Ritchie movie. In yeah. terms of like action and, and music, it feels like a, yeah, like violence, like very yeah. kill bill. Um, and I did, in I a bought way. the book. Which yeah. One? And, but it's, it, yeah. Bullet train. There's a, it's based on a book. Yeah. Look, 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 Kev, look, there's Ladybug. See, and I, I, of all these, um, all the movies that David Leach and like Chad Stilhesky make, they come with these like really oh. profound messages about thing. The Ladybug. I didn't think about the, the seven. The quote on the back of the book uh, says it has a Tarantino meets the Coen Brothers feel to it. Yeah. Well, there you go. Right. Which, are there really seven things in the back of the Ladybug? Go to the Ladybug on the back of the book. You know the One, seven things two, in the movie. Three, four, five, six. I see six. Huh. Mm. Remember that whole the dialogue in the film about like, the, like what the seven sorrows of yeah. a ladybug? I thought that was interesting. Anyways, All right. well, let's bring a shift to the blend game this week. Uh, so both boys recommend Bullet Train. I haven't had a chance to see it. I'm gonna, probably going to see Great. it this weekend because I'm looking forward to catching up. I mean, with it's it. no and bodies, 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 but you know, we are playing uh, hashtag. <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like you throw shade. 
Sandra Bullock blend. Sandra. Sandra, Sandra Bullock blend. Because if you listen to her, I did on purpose. That one I did I'm not so sure you did. I know Based that on your track record on the Sandra, show. It's, uh, Sandra Sandra Bullock. You always give her a flair. Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. ECU pirate. She's an ECU pirate, by the way. And apparently a very posh British person, according to you. Sandra Bullock blend. And I'm going to go first. Because I haven't talked in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's back, ladies and gentlemen. He's got the power. The key. Go, <laughs> the, the key. Uh, I'm going to go with speed. Anyone else going with speed? I did. What? <laughs> no oh, way. I would the, Kevin, I thought you were going with gravity. No, speed is the ultimate. Speed's it. Oh, yeah. I thought and I was going to be the all, only one. We can all no. talk about wow. speed. Then. That's oh, fantastic. I knew it was speed the, mo- the moment Gabe said it. I Same. Said it, was, it was Same. Speed. But yeah. I could. Right. I would have sworn you were going. I thought maybe Sean would go speed. Kevin, I could have sworn you were going gravity. So here's um. why I prefer speed over gravity or why I chose speed over gravity. And I, I listened. Gravity. There's very few actresses who, who could have done what, what she did. And she. She holds that entire movie together, Alfonso as as well too, with his technical prowess, of course. Um, but but that's a one woman show, you know. She's she's terrific in it, and and in so many different scenes, uh, and keeps you riveted and compelled. But at the same time, she does the exact same thing in Speed. Like that is a thankless part uh, mm-hmm. that most other people could take and do the bare minimum with. Um, but she, right down to like the just early decisions, early character choice decisions. Uh, the way that she avoids um, Cameron uh, from Ferris Bueller uh, yeah. by pretending that she sat in gum uh, and, you know, the bonds that she forms with the other, these like emotional, sentimental bonds that she forms with the other bus passengers uh, taking over the the driving and, and finding a way to make it a bit of a flirtatious sort of thing with Keanu Reeves. Uh, they have chemistry. Like people come out of that movie and talk about their chemistry when they're supposed to be in a life and death situation. And, and it's not, not like in a forced way, not like in the middle, like in the middle of a massive dramatic action scene. They're like trying to force this relationship down our throat. It's very organic. It, absolutely. And that's all credit to them. Like, I, I don't know if that's all in the script or if those two just figured out a way to play it um, so that it could both be harrowing and you care those are the two you want to see survive, right? Um, and we all know the speed should have ended when the bus came to a close. Yes. <laughs> like the last 15 minutes or so uh, are dragging it out. Uh, why did you guys choose it? Kev, why'd you choose uh, speed? Uh, well, speed was a big movie for me. I was 10 when I saw it or 11. Like it was like, you know, I, I didn't know who Keanu Reeves was. I didn't really know who Sandra Bullock was at the time. And that was like my introduction, essentially, in my in my world to those actors. And you're so right. Like she is such an anchor and an important aspect to that film. And I, and I love the dialogue. And she's literally playing the most important part in the whole movie. She's driving this bus and can't go under a certain speed limit. And the tension and the way she carries that sequence. And we and we we. We all know that no one's really driving a bus that's going to blow up you know, if it goes below 55 miles per hour. But she makes you believe that. Right. Like mm-hmm. she makes you believe every aspect of it, even that jump sequence that they have. She sells it all. And like you can't sell that stuff unless you're really, really good at your job and really good as an actor. And I think you're right. It's like a, it's a 90s action film where like she really, really to me, that's that's the moment that I really fell in love with her as an actor. She mm-hmm. was amazing in that film. Um, but also just I, I, I really feel like at the end of the day, she's the really the one who kind of saves everybody. <laughs> like at the end of the you know, Keanu Reeves is there on the, on the bus, but she's the one operating. She's the one driving. 
Um, and I think to me, like she's the anchor. She's the important aspect of that story. But also just I love that movie in general and she's just mm-hmm. phenomenal in it. Um, if I were to argue her best movie, it probably would be Gravity just based on the things you said just now, which was how much she carries that film on her own, essentially. Um, but Speed is a Speed is a dueling, a dueling importance of performances. Her and Reeves are so damn great together. Um, and then when you watch Speed 2 and you don't and, and it's funny because like obviously it's not a great movie and, and, and it really has nothing Speed to do with Sandra too. Bullock. It's just the it's just the script and uh, you know, uh, story issue. But overall, I just think speed. When I think of Sandra Bullock, it's the first movie I go to. It's the first movie I think about. It's I, I can see her in the in the driving seat right now. Um, it was just a, a monumental film to me. And I and I also felt like just you really care for her and him. And you're right. Like there's like at the end of the film when Dennis Hopper has her hostage. Like I was I every time I watch that scene or that moment in the film, which that's why I actually like that third act. I like the scene in, in, in the subway. Um, I really feel like every time I watch it, I'm like I'm like scared for her because mm-hmm. of the way she plays it. There's a there's a there's an internal quality to her performance. It's not just a 90s action movie with stars just in an action scenes. It's like genuinely good performance work. I do uh, like when Keanu can't get the pole off the subway. Yeah, pole. that's a great scene. Mm-hmm. And like He's and then you at it. Right. And there's a moment where like you really see them give up mm-hmm. like, like, you know what I mean? Like and like, I think I'm glad you brought that up. That, that, that's kind of what I was getting towards is really kind of how emotional and well performed these scenes are when they really don't probably have to be. You know, we're in the middle of a of, of, a, of, of an action film, but they they that you when you have talented actors, that's why the MCU is so great. When you throw Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man. You're, you're giving a phenomenal actor the chance to bring a character to life that could just be like not thrown away, but like, you, you know, to give somebody that depth. Um, so I, I just always love speed. And I think the characters are are the characters are great and they don't have to be in a film like speed. Yeah. But I just think it's it really works. So. Um, Brendan uh, marathons uh, the Simpsons on Disney Plus and every once in a while uh, he'll come down and watch one in the living room. And so I'll sit and watch him with him. And there was a joke on one of them that Millhouse uh, was, was in front of a television set and it had speed on. Uh, and he turned to Bart and he said, this movie's just like speed too, except on a bus. That's funny. Jakey, that why'd fun. you go with it? I mean, honestly, you could teach like a college course on the simplistic perfection that is speed like it, it just everything about this movie lined up like you know the the plot is is quite simple it's a bus that can't go under 55 miles an hour you've got two leads that have the kind of chemistry that like a producer for a film can only pray for um i so everything about it like it, it's not overly complicated it's not it's just everything about it is just a pure spectacle theatrical experience in mind it's so well done um also one of the things we haven't touched on that i am always reminded of when i watch speed it's one of the best scores of all time like that speed theme is fantastic and the reason i chose this particularly for sandra bullock is that she is you know, a lot of times, for, particularly for movies like this, that have these stra- the, these high stress situations, it sometimes might be hard for us to wrap our head around. Is that there's a character that kind of represents us, right? Like they're they're our way in. They kind of all represent maybe what we might do in that situation. And what I love about Sandra Bullock is that she is that. She I feel like she is kind of she's the vessel for us to put ourselves into this situation. But she's also 
in a way, this like idealized version of who we hope we would be in that moment. Like she handles it in a very human, realistic way. Um, I mean, it's it's I I challenge anyone to, to watch Speed and think to themselves naturally, oh, I would be Keanu Reeves in this situation. But it's easy to to think, okay. I might be Sandra Bullock. And if I were Sandra Bullock, I hope that I would at least handle it in the way that she does. And so I think she I think she actually has a tougher job and that she has to kind of straddle the lane between representing the audience in this unfathomable, stressful situation, but also doing so in a way that like gives us hope that like if we, too, were in this situation, like just maybe just maybe. We have it within us to be the hero, too, which is why. um, And I feel like that is actually a, a, a difficult job. Uh, to handle handle so that's why i chose speed yeah, um, she is the hero of speed yeah. really she is like like that is you're so right like she she carries that film all right audience picks uh julia amanda young and kimberly sue uh and many others went with while you were sleeping for sandra bullock blend stephanie said 28 days uh noting that it is an underrated movie with a great performance by sandra bullock actually it is really really good william says the heat uh co-starring melissa mccarthy Dave Hammer went with Miss Congeniality, uh, and then Harry Lickman, Andy Travers, and many others went with Gravity. So thank you very much, everybody, for participating in Sandra Bullock. Gravity is her best movie. Yeah. But Speed is my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. I, I would, would rather think. watch Speed, which yes. I might actually watch tonight. It's, it's a near-perfect movie. Last, it is damn good. Last 15 minutes drag on a all right, for I, next week, I love the last 15 minutes, man. I don't know what on, you're talking about. On Twitter, uh, use hashtag book to movie blend. Do I feel like we were going to do book to movie blend? Yes, we had to skip a show and then a blend game that we were obligated to came up. So we didn't end up playing book to movie. Um, right. Is the Snyder Cut movie based on your book? Yes. Okay. The the article on uh, Snyder on Snyder that was written a couple weeks ago is based on his book. Uh, Gabe, is this one of those situations where we are to interpret it as we choose? Is it is it a matter of like, oh, it's the movie so much better than the book? Is it a situation where what the is your okay. movie is yeah, like what is the, the the criteria is book turned into a movie? What is your favorite film that was a book before it was a movie? Yeah, so it's, it's like an adaptation blend, but it's specifically about a book to a movie adaptation. Interesting. Okay, first. Two movie, not movie to book. You can't pick other, uh, Tarantino's. What's about time? There are other ways to interpret that. No, I, I the, my my challenge was like, are we saying it's a situation where the movie is so much better than the book? Is mm-hmm. it a situation where the movie is an accurate representation of the book? No, it's it's we're still doing favorite. It's just what's I your favorite a, movie based yeah. on the book? Okay, fair yeah. enough. I like that. Uh, all right, like I said, you can play on Twitter using hashtag movie blend or no book to movie blend. Uh, or email us at realblend at cinemablend.com. And that is also where you can send us a review. And we haven't got a lot of reviews lately, folks. Uh, some. We just have, we haven't always had time to read them, but we right, send them but, in. But Gabe, my ego needs to be stroked. Often. Sure. Here it is. Um, and uh, I want to hear, I want to hear more from the, from the blenders. Okay. So that's the, the gauntlet has the, been the, dropped. The, the dude takes off People. a week and he comes back and he's throwing out demands. I, I will say you can, you can send us a, a review via email. <laughs> But the best way to help the show is to drop five star reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Yes. So on Apple Podcasts, you can write a review as well, which we will get those and we'll read those. But if you if you submit them through those uh, platforms, it, it does help the show a lot. Either way, we appreciate your support. Send us an this email in uh, this incredibly uh, positive new review says, uh, hello, Sean, Jake, Kevin and Gabe. My name is Gavin Gouge and I am from Knoxville, Tennessee. Just like Quentin Tarantino with an exclamation point. 
I can't remember how long it's been since I first discovered Jake's interviews, but I couldn't believe it when I realized that there was an actual occupation where you could get paid for watching movies I and feel then the same sitting way down every day with your cinematic heroes. Then I found Kevin's interviews. I am and all these reviews start with I found Jake and then I found Kevin. <laughs> That's why I went and saw bodies, bodies, bodies. I went and saw bodies, bodies, bodies. I you saw bodies Jake. twice, man. Yeah. So you're, you're ahead. <laughs> then I found Kevin's interviews, which led me to listening to Real Blend. Thank you guys for repeatedly keeping me company throughout my freshman year of college at Tennessee Tech in Cookville, where I would often listen to both new and old episodes while walking to class. Doing while walking to class doing homework, folding laundry in my dorm, and even driving to Nashville on the weekend to see movies. I'm currently in the process of transferring schools, which has been a tedious and frankly depressing process. I hope this doesn't sound strange, Sean, but witnessing your recent trip across the South with your son as you toured different universities was admittedly comforting to me. I wish him the best of luck at the University of Kentucky, and please come back to Knoxville. Okay, sidebar. So PJ almost went to Tennessee, uh, which is in Knoxville, and we visited multiple times, uh, because that was that was his second choice, actually. And Knoxville is a beautiful town. So, uh, Gavin, thank you so much for pointing that out. And he says, hopefully you can come for another UT basketball game. I can hear Gabe telling me to rap, so I'm going to try. Uh, Kevin, your passion for what you do is truly infectious. I cannot tell you how much my knowledge has broadened through your obsession with practical effects, different cinematographers and aspect ratios. Sean, your book was a gift for my recent 19th birthday, so I'm anxious to begin reading and cannot wait with great power jake where do i even begin you truly are my hero all right i think we can end this now right can't we uh your questions are so thought-provoking and inspirational to a young journalism major like myself if you'd give anything to sit down and discuss mr tom hanks's entire career with you i'd give anything to sit down and discuss your entire career with you sir finally this show is the reason i've watched so many movies for the first time including blowout lethal weapon the post zola Jared Carmichael's Rothaniel and even Road to Perdition. Thank you, Real Blend, for being the weekly escape that this young, starry-eyed cinephile and journalism major so desperately needs with his four professional idols. Dunkirk, Hubie, and Hockey Pads. That is a perfect way to end. That uh, is one of, if not the best review we've ever gotten. Hold on, there's a P.S. Oh, P.S. (laughs) P.S. Sean, Jake, and Gabe, you may remember that I recently tweeted about how I convinced two of my friends to begin listening with your Kaczynski interview after they both saw Top Gun Maverick. Can Tegan and Maddie get a shout out? Well, no, we don't do that on the show. Tegan and Maddie! All right, fine. Hello, Tegan and Maddie. Thank you for listening to Real Blend. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed this week's episode. We will be back. Our next premium episode is going to be the behind the scenes stories to how Quentin Tarantino Volume 4 came to pass. Uh, Again, check the description below for more information on how to sign up for the premium subscriptions. In the meantime, follow us on social media. Jake is at at Jake's Takes. Kevin is at Kevin McCarthy TV. Daenerys needs her own social media feed. Look at that sweet face. It's the dog from Prey. Prey. It's the dog in Prey. Look. Uh, This is for the YouTube people, obviously. Daenerys is on the camera right now. Uh, I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell. Gabe is at Gabe Kovach. And the show is at Real Blend. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. And in the meantime, the Fable Pads is going to be UB. at Toronto. And we want to uh, interview Spielberg. Spielberg, if you're listening, please, for the love of God, invite Hubie. us to your home. We want to come over. We're only going to interview you about Hubie. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. 
by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.